Good evening, Mr. Hunt. Are you sure your line is secure? I got it. Oh, man, do I get it. Central Intelligence Cinema now has a secure line to the IMF. Benji? Join the IMF. See the world on a monitor. In a closet. That doesn't sound impossible. Next time, I gotta seduce the rich guy. What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Central Intelligence Cinema presents Road to Reckoning. You can understand you're very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me upset. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Welcome to episode 51 of Central Intelligence Cinema. Today, the road to reckoning nears its zenith as we tackle Mission Impossible Fallout. It's time to reload your arm guns and strap in. Take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Natasha Romanoff. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Elsa Faust. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! A special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. The British hand up, sir. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Coming to you from an undisclosed location where all that exposition's gonna happen, <laughs> it's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always... Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC. Jason, my man. What's up? I've been going to the School of Silly Spy Shit for three and a half years. And you still haven't graduated? I'm no dummy. Well, I don't know. <laughs> and if there's, <laughs> But if there's one thing I do know, it's that we have got one hell of a movie review today. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> it is... Uh, it is titanic. It is monstrous. It might almost say it was an odyssey. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> that is right. We are back. We are almost to the tippy top of the road to reckoning. And on Father's Day, no less, we are reviewing the big daddy of all Mission Impossible movies, Mission Impossible Fallout. So, uh... <sighs> I believe that's all you can say about the movie. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Be sure to like, subscribe. And <laughs> you know, with underscores. Yes, all those things. All those things. All those things. But uh, I am excited to get into this because uh, it is a good, good movie. Yeah, a- I, I, right off the bat, I'll say it still is my favorite. It could use some trimming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's still my favorite of the bunch. Even though it has the most blatant bathroom fight since number one, um, but it's it's again it's the it's the daddy of all bathroom fights. Oh no doubt, maybe the best bathroom fight we have covered so far in this podcast. I would agree with that for yeah. sure. They're not the very best well built bathroom in the no, world. No, because it seems to break at the. I mean, it feels like it's made out of paper mache, <laughs> balsa wood, and plastic, almost like it's on a set. I you mm. know. 
<laughs> but anyway, we digress. Yes, yes. Very excited. I, I think, well, we'll get into rankings later. I'll, I'll save that for a little bit later. But yeah, fantastic movie. But yeah, super excited to jump in and, and uh, talk about all this crazy, silly spy shit. Woohoo! Should we do it? Let's do it. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? So, how is he? Well, you know, same old Ethan. What the hell is he doing? I find it best not to look. Okay, Mission Impossible Fallout, released in 2018, directed, of course, by Christopher McQuarrie. For those of you who somehow don't know his repertoire, uh, he did- Look into it. Look into it, Rogue Nation. He did Way of the Gun, Valkyrie, Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow. And a little movie you might have heard called Usual Suspects. Uh, Yeah. Grant, he didn't direct that one. He wrote that one. But he did write it. He did write it, which is a fantastic movie. Indeed. Of course, produced by J.J. Abrams once again and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the producer? No. On a Mission Impossible movie? (laughs) What? What are you talking? Crazy talk. So we didn't touch on this during Rogue Nation, but it should also be stated that uh, Wade Eastwood, uh, no relation to the... Other Eastwood. You mean the one that the Gulch in Hill Valley is named after? Yes. Okay, just check. Wade Eastwood was the second unit director and stunt coordinator on Rogue Nation as well as this movie. And I think he uh, should get some credit on this movie too because he's... I just think that they've developed this fantastic working relationship, him and Tom. Like, they just seem to sort of get it. He understands the ethos behind getting these stunts as practical as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, he worked on Spectre as a, as a stunt driver. Really? I wonder how he <laughs> feels about driving at night in, uh, in, Rome? in Rome with nobody <laughs> well, on the road. Funny enough... <laughs> I believe we get driving in Rome in Dead Reckoning, P.S. And by the way. During the day. During the can't day, be though. Compared. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and uh, Wade Eastwood is also going to be stunt coordinator on both parts of uh, Dead Reckoning. So, so he's um, a Vic Armstrong. He is the Vic Armstrong to, of the Mission uh, the Impossible. The Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. Written by Christopher McQuarrie. Which it's written, but then it's, but it's really not written. It's, it's it feels like that they, they're just daily conferences about what they're going to do. It actually kind of makes me think about my very industry that I work in because I work in unscripted reality where they write up an idea of what they want the scene to be. And then you make it. But then they get there and they just, they kind of do it. But then I, it comes to me, the editor, and I have to basically make it. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, it just, it goes with the theory. We want these six stunts. Yes. And here's the movie we're going to write behind them. That's I mean, right. They must, I, I imagine- well, and the other thing about it too is that a lot of times they have these six stunts that they're going to do and they're going write, to write around it. But then one of those stunts or two of those stunts or maybe four of those stunts don't work out. 
because they can't get the location. They can't right. get this. They can't get that. And so suddenly they have to pivot and right. the whole script changes. And, you know, they, they must be like a dartboard in, in the room <laughs> that Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise are in. And they're like, okay, where do we want to go this year? <laughs> All right. Okay. We'll write those down. Okay. What are the central engine? Okay. Okay. Got those down here. Okay. Uh, who are we bringing back? Okay. Sure. Ving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, definitely okay. Simon. Yeah. Rebecca. Sure. 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 You know, we, you, uh, we should, we should bring Sean back. He's super creepy. We should bring him back. <laughs> Ooh, what about Alec? Yeah. Alec. Yeah. Okay. We're going to bring Alec back. And then they're just like, all right, we got all these post-it notes. Now we're going to play pin the tail on the donkey right now. And that's going to determine how we're going to structure the film. It's like Mad Libs. Indeed. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Tom and Chris are writing a movie. Chris wanted to go to Rome. Location. There's just location location. with a a blank. (laughs) Where there will be an amazing donkey stunt. You know? Indeed. Photography-wise, cinematography this time was by Rob Hardy, who did Annihilation and Ex Machina, which is an interesting choice, but... It makes sense. You know, we were watching, at least I think we both watched this, the same behind the scenes thing where Macquarie was talking about how in the past, it's always been a different director for each movie. And so Mm -hmm. each movie has kind of a different look. Yep. And he kind of wanted to continue that even even though Tom asked him back to do another one. So he was like, well, how can I make this look different than the one I just did? And so one of those big choices was certainly getting Rob Hardy to come in and shoot it in a different way and give it a different vibe and everything. Right. Well, I mean, and it, I don't think his repertoire is action movie centric or even heavy or even no. adjacent. Well, it's it's definitely more artsy fartsy. Right. And he, you know, Rob Hardy does science fiction essentially. So it's mm-hmm. it's a slightly different craft, yeah. slightly. But we are talking about like sub 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 genres. So yeah. You know, it's certainly a different animal than than mission movies or action spy movies. And I think it's a great choice. He's got some really interesting looks in this movie. It, it definitely gives it a different vibe. My only critique at all would be, and, and this might actually be on the post side, occasionally it feels over-polished every once in a while. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily down to shooting. That could be down to, like I said, it could be down to post-production. I don't know who did some of that stuff. I mean, we do have back Eddie, Eddie Hamilton as the editor, but the editor doesn't always take care of how something is given the final gloss, right? if you will. And I will say the editing in this movie is fantastic. It really is. I think about that scene in the Arc de Triomphe the, during that motorcycle chase. Mm-hmm. The editing during that, during that little moment there is so per. It's so good. It is so good. Oh, I love it. Love you, Eddie Hamilton. You're my hero. You are. Someday, if you could take me away from from unscripted reality hell that I'm in and let me work on something cool. (laughs) Anyway. DM me. DM me. My DMs are open. Uh, (laughs) And also, uh, I should mention, I'm going to skip ahead to music because I do feel like music played a big role in making it feel like a much different movie than Rogue Nation. Lauren Balfe really gave this a much different vibe. It's You can tell that they went for a much more serious tone in every way, both, well, both in direction and 
like the music is definitely got a harsher. It does, and there's there's much more. I won't say subtle because you know it's there, but the integration of the Mission Impossible theme is prevalent throughout the entire soundtrack. Yeah, but not in such a way that it's beating you over the head with it every time you see it. There's fast versions of it. There's very slow burn versions of it. Yeah, and. He basically uses the speed and the tempo of the music, of the theme song you know, to set the mood and the tone of the yeah. scene you're in. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, listening to a smooth jazz version of Star Trek, right? <laughs> you know? Right. You know? But I mean, granted, there's no smooth jazz stuff in here. But <laughs> you take something that you know, right? And right. You, you, you change what it is, but it's still there in your brain. Your brain's going, is that? Oh, I get right. it. I get it. This is their stakes with this Mission Impossible yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. I also felt like they were very judicious about when they used music at all. Mm-hmm. There's a couple moments in this movie where they play it dry and it works really, really well. Well, the, the bathroom scene. The bathroom scene. The best use of the music. Well, we're talking about music, so I'm not jumping ahead. When they jump out of the plane. And the lightning bolt hits, and everything just stops. Yeah, it's just, so you got the music. And there's not even, I don't even think they have um, room tone. No, I there's think, nothing. I think it's, it's dead, dead silent. Dead silent. And, and it's so effective. It is. And because you lose, the music is what's driving that whole scene. Right. What your eyes are watching, but the music is keeping up, and then all of a sudden it just stops. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was clever. Making a note about that right now. <laughs> Good when job, I, Lauren. When I make my movie, I will do the same thing. <laughs> when Luke Skywalker gets knocked out by the... Oh, wait, no, I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> by the numbers, the budget for this movie was $178 million, which was $28 million more than Rogue Nation, and the movie made $786.6 million worldwide at the box office, which is about $100 million more than Rogue Nation. So that little extra dosh kind of paid off. Yeah, this is the reason that Tom Cruise gets more money when he asks for it. Yeah. Because it pays itself off. Yeah. If he asks for it, he usually has a pretty good reason for it. I mean, it. if he came into a studio exec- like Paramount and went and said, I need $728 million to make a movie, <laughs> they're going to be like, you realize that you would have to recoup $1.5 billion in order for that to pay off. Uh-huh. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if... Tom Cruise asked to borrow money from me, and he said, well, I can make you money if you just give me this hundred bucks or whatever. I'd be like, okay. 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 Can, I, can I get points on your next movie to pay this back? <laughs> so, talking about all the uh, characters, returning characters and otherwise, obviously, Tom Cruise is back as Ethan Hunt. He was 56 years old in this movie, and uh, he does kind of look a little bit more distinguished. This is the first time that I actually kind of noticed it. Can I say that I think, yeah, and I did too, but I think this is the first movie that I remember him looking distinguished. Yes. Before, he was just kind of like more rugged, young Tom Cruise. Right. I think... This was the first movie he's just like, he's finally grown into being Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like when, and I, I always compare the two, but like when Paul Newman got into his fifties and he just got rakishly handsome. Yeah. Right. Like he, he didn't look a whole lot older. Right. But there was just that point of maturity level where the face all filled in just where it needed to be. Right. And everything else. So yeah, I look at him going, I'm like, he's so much older than Rebecca Ferguson in every scene that they're in. But I'd sleep with that guy. Look at it. I mean, he's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how good he, he still looks. He basically he went from being pretty to handsome. Yeah, it's remarkable. 
as far as the secondary characters and love interests, uh, Julia is back. Michelle Monaghan. Yay! Yay! And uh, I appreciate that they actually give her something to do. She's not just the uh, damsel in distress at the end. So kudos to them for actually giving her some personality. and, and Well, in a great moment with Ving Rhames, who gets so few great moments. He got a lot of good moments well, in this well, movie. Well, and I was about to get to that the fact that ving rames really shines in this movie mm-hmm. probably his best performance in any of them in any of them i think about that moment that almost weepy moment with him and ilsa mm-hmm. when he's talking about how like ethan saved me and that's why we're in the- like he basically blamed himself right for being in the predicament that they were in because and he knows like- ethan's not going to change right and he's He's like half weeping to Ilsa. And I'm right. just like, oh my God, my man is like bringing a whole lot more than the meats. He's bringing the, he's bringing the tears. <laughs> <laughs> the salty tears of not meat. <laughs> not meat this time. He's actually bringing his like A plus game. Uh, also, Ilsa Faust is, of course, back, played by Rebecca Ferguson. <sighs> mm-hmm. Okay. Again, I think that one of the strong points of this movie is that they did find something for everyone in this movie to say and do yes that is not just a filler or or something that helps fill out ethan right you know in in a bond movie sometimes you get a character here and there that their whole identity is strictly to serve what's happening to bond and not what's happening to them whereas i feel like every single character gets some good dialogue gets some personality in this like well they all get to be their own person yeah not just they're not just plot points to get something to where it is right and i'll I'll tell you the chemistry between rebecca ferguson and tom cruise is palpable and it really is It, it really is well and i mean I mean, it's a whole moonlighting, will they, won't they kind of thing. Very much so, yeah. And, you know, not that... See, it's it's weird for me to say this because I'm, you know, a super fan of these type of movies because I've seen these clips on the internet about the fact that Tom Cruise, when he was young, had a big crush on... I forget the name of the actress that he had a crush on when he was just very, very young. And that actress looks astonishingly similar to Ilsa or to hmm. Rebecca Ferguson and Rebecca Ferguson's very first Hollywood crush was Tom Cruise. Yeah. So, well, so, so it was also for uh what's her face? Um, Dawson's Creek girl. Oh, Katie Holmes, Katie Holmes. And look how that worked out for her. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. No, I mean, you know, I don't know that was old Tom. This yeah. That was yeah. less distinguished Tom. Yes. Yes. Still, less... pretty, still pretty boy Tom. <laughs> That's right. Still pretty boy Tom. But, uh, still yeah. had that, that cackle of a laugh back then. <laughs> <laughs> Best left unsaid. Moving yes. On. Moving right along. Uh, Benji's back. Of course. It is not. A Mission Impossible movie now. At with, this point. Without Simon Pegg. It really isn't. I mean, he You can is, make him without Ving Rhames. They did, more but, or less. But you can't do it without Benji. No, he's, he's the heart and soul. He is. Again, I'll say it every time we do this, and thank God we're done. <laughs> he's He is the audience member in the movie. Yes. Things are happening to him, but he very seldom is driving what's happening. He gets more in this movie, thank very God. Very much so. There's a... There's a line that he shares with Ethan. They both voice the exact same line. <laughs> yeah, the alternate title for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was it again? Mission Impossible 6. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's fantastic as always. There's there's still great chemistry between the two of them, always. 
They just they just fall right back into place. Alec Baldwin's back. Yay! Yay! To be the secretary of the IMF. Too bad um, we already know what happens to the secretary of the IMF in every one of these damn movies. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And then Sean Harris is back as Solomon Lane, much more grizzled. Also, uh, can I just say that I, I have changed my opinion on the Philip Seymour Hoffman statement I previously made about him being the best villain? You think? You I think. think, I, think I think Sean Harris, but only because Sean Harris has had the opportunity to play that villain out, right, and develop him. And if they had killed off Philip Seymour Hoffman and kept him going, he would have crushed it in every single way. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, when you've got creepy beard, buggy eye, talking through my nose, type of, <laughs> he sounds like a Skeksy. That's what I realized yesterday. I know that he sounds like a Skeksy from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Blow your nose, Sean. (laughs) Fantastic, though. And I think part of it is, too, they wrote enough for him to allow him to to yes. de- to develop into that role like he he takes on a a slightly different vibe in this movie where you know he's seen some stuff he's been in jail he's been passed around from government to government right. interrogating him well he's he's basically become a true bond villain here and that he's got all these little undercurrents and whatever that you're not seeing the bigger picture on right to maneuver everybody to where he can do his master plan indeed and now he wants revenge on top of everything right. else which truly makes him that bond villain level villain the, well i think we can say hashtag better blowfeld because as much as i do <laughs> as much as i like christoph waltz i would love to have seen sean young be blowfeld uh, sean oh, harris sean know? harris yeah yeah well, sean young would have been an interesting <laughs> that's turn that's an interesting actually turn as now well. that i'm thinking about that she does play crazy well or is she playing um <laughs> but yeah sean harris would have been an interesting choice as Blofeld in the Daniel Craig films as well. Very much so. Right? I bet he was like, damn it, he's been in Rogue Nation? Oh, shit. All can't, right. can't get him. <laughs> then we've got uh, Henry Cavill in as August Walker and perhaps some other identity. Hmm. Clark Kent? That I one? mean, he knows a lot about dual identity. He does. So. He does. And this is the uh, infamous movie where he had to have the mustache for this movie and so they had to digitally remove it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for Justice League. For Justice League. And you can tell where they did it. You <laughs> just, know what, just a little bit. You know the thing that kills me the most on that? And this is, of course, Superhero seg. Welcome to Jason's Corner. Superhero Segway. Okay. So in Justice League, mm-hmm. Superman was dead. Okay. Right? I don't understand why they didn't cover the mustache up with a full beard and long hair. Because that would have been easier. Like they did in the comic book. He came out Uh. fresh and clean with no caffeine, like he hadn't been dead for six months to a year. The explanation was literally right there. Oh my goodness. They could have filled in the the whatever Does does movie Superman not grow facial hair or something? Is that what it is? No, he does. Oh really? So okay, so he didn't used to, right? Well, I don't know if he did or he didn't. But (laughs) when when John Byrne revamped the book in eighty six, he specifically gave him a hairy chest. A full beard. Okay. Um, they, they went through the, the rigmarole showing how he shaved every day. He had a piece of the ship that he had curved into a, and shined into a mirror angle, and he had to use his heat vision to shave his beard. Because otherwise it'd just grow right back or well, something? No, because it's, it's Superman hair. So the only thing that could destroy his hair was his own heat vision. <laughs> so he would use the heat vision and bounce it off his face to shave, suck up all the burnt hair fumes, and then spit them out the window. That is literally a scene in the book because he's shaving while Lois oh, is in the other room. Oh, my goodness. So 
yes, Superman does shave and he does have a beard. When he died, I believe in when he died, died in the 90s, when he came back, long hair and he had long hair at Superman for a while, which was oh, wow. stupid. But I think he had a beard when he came out because it was like a year and a half later. Uh-huh. So his face had just continued to grow. So yes, he can grow a beard. <laughs> and I don't understand why why Zack Snyder, of all people, who would, is probably as nerdy about comic books as I am, would didn't just say, well, fuck it, give him a beard. He's been dead. Yeah. We'll put him in a bad wig. Everybody's got a bad wig in this movie anyway. <laughs> and put him in a bad beard, and he's wow. good to go. So that confused me to no end. Wow. You could have had him fight with the beard, the whole thing. But I digress. No, I don't. I'm sorry. This has been uh, Jason's Superhero Corner. Tune in next uh, episode when we don't have one of those. (laughs) We've also got Vanessa Kirby as the White Widow, who is fantastic. Yes, yes, she is. Fantastic in this movie. She is every bit Max's daughter. Right? Every bit. She's flirty. She's got that wry smile. There's stuff going on behind her eyes. Like... She's fantastic in every. Oh, I know. You can't take your eyes off her in this. In you, this movie. you can't, and she just she She's, has she plays this like embedded level of uncontrollable menace that just yeah. seems to pervade her eyes, even when she's being charming and everything. Right, and th- like the scene where she kisses Ethan, it's, it's so just, forceful. It's, it's almost so forceful. like a Harrison Ford kiss. Well, well yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, without all the things that come along with it being a Harrison Ford kiss, but it was like an impulse that she just I, I don't want to. I do want to i don't want to fuck it and she just does it yeah and then tom's all like uh okay sure 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 sure. okay okay yeah yeah. but yeah i mean and what is effectively a throwaway character this probably the biggest throwaway character in this movie aside from her brother who's an even bigger throwaway character but the thing is is she makes it non-throwaway that's what i'm saying and it goes back to what you're saying about the writing every character even the minor ones got a layer levels and layers and dialogue here that made them more something you even felt for the french cop that got shot yeah and she literally was just an exposition uh, thing yeah. to, to, to block things from happening, to make other things happen, to make other things happen. Right. But the scene between her and Cruz. Oh my God, I know. In French. You suddenly felt felt things for her. You, you felt things for Tom, the fact that he was so sympathetic. And- right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess what we've established here is that Chris McCoy knows how to write. Yeah. And direct. Apparently. <laughs> and then finally, we have uh, Angela Bassett as the CIA director, Erica Sloan, who I think she does a fantastic job. I mean, it's it's not a whole lot to do. I think this, is maybe, this, this may be the role that didn't get a whole lot put into it. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, you required that antagonism. The antagonism kind of fed how you were reading Henry Cavill's character. Yeah. And help to maintain what needed to be maintained until it didn't need to be maintained right. anymore. Right, yeah. But I, it, it's one of those things where they just, you're basically uh, interpreting a CIA person as being duplicitous and yes. and whatever else. And I'm like, yeah, it's a part of the job. But at the end of the day, most of these people are just people. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> J- Jack Ryan isn't duplicitous. Right. <laughs> and he's in the CIA. That's right. And he Not- stole a damn submarine. And there you go. <laughs> so, I don't know. Well... Should we get into the meat and potatoes of this? <laughs> Tally ho! Okay, so the pre-title sequence 
So you see this wedding ceremony, and it's very pretty, and the, the backdrop looks awfully similar to uh, to a, you know, maybe, I don't know, the, the final scene in the movie. But um, so it's very pretty, and we see Tom there, and he's, and he's dressed up in his best, and the officiant is facing away from camera, and it's obviously Ethan and Julia. And uh, as it gets closer and closer, the vows that the officiant is reading start to kind of slightly change and morph into things about putting Julia in danger and harm's way and changing her life forever for the worse. And the the look on Ethan's face starts to change. He's like, wait, what, what are you, what are you talking? Stop, stop that. <laughs> stop that. And then suddenly Ethan realizes that the officiant is Solomon Lane. Which we all knew because nasally voice is exactly. reading everything. Exactly. Exactly. Hey. And obviously we realize this is some kind of dream sequence. Which, you know, does Ethan have the ability to see the future? <laughs> I know. Is that something it, we're exploring in this episode, is, this this movie? Yeah, it's a little on the nose. And then we see this big explosion happen in the far off in the background. And then the fire gets closer and closer, almost all a Terminator. <laughs> and then it fire. <laughs> and it just burns Ethan and everyone to pieces. And, and then bam. So, thankfully, we didn't have like his skeleton holding Julia's skeleton <laughs> rocking back and Against forth. The, the chain fence. Off. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> turns into dust. Right. And then he wakes up. And uh, we're in Belfast, courtesy of some appropriately sized... Very appropriately sized sized location indicators. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And this does not turn out to be an exposition barge. It it is not. Although it could have been an exposition barge for what happened prior. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. So... And I will say that very first shot, too, when he wakes up from this dream, it is so J.J. Abrams with the lens flare. Yeah, yeah. Like the that... And Rob Hardy does that. Several times in this movie, he he gets a little bit of that J.J. Abrams lens flare going, except that it's slightly different. I I can tell he's using some different kind of lens because the the lens flares aren't quite so circular the way J.J.'s always are. They're more uh, almost like straight lines. Yeah, he's using the same kind of lens that John Carpenter is famous for using everything. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. So he's basically in this safe house and he gets this mission offer, which... (laughs) Yeah, the door knocks. He goes downstairs, and there's this guy, and he's spooky postman. Spooky postman. It's raining, and it's night, of course. And Backlit completely, so he can't see the person's face. Right, but he's got the postman cap on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and we get one of the most uncreative, unoriginal exchanges. You know, where you, you know, the spy has to say one thing, and the other spy has to say the other thing. It's like fate whispers to the warrior, a storm is coming. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. <laughs> yeah. Even my wife is like, man, I've heard that one before. That's <laughs> yeah. lame. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was like, was that like a last minute? Like, oh shit, we need one of these in here. I don't know. Just use this. Uh, it's, it's fine. It, it's we're fine. doing rain in the scene. The umbrella thing is kind of on the nose. <laughs> You know, <laughs> lovely weather we're having today. I prefer the weather in Florida. Ah, uh, but Florida is much too hot and muggy for me. Not for me. I thrive in humidity. <laughs> you know, why can't we have ones like this? Like, you know, yeah. did you have a bowl of cereal today? I did. It was Captain Crunch and very tasty. <laughs> I find the Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries is much more tasty. No, the red dye makes me hyper. Here you go, Mr. Hunt. <laughs> I would appreciate one of those just once. <laughs> 
So he opens up the uh, the package, and inside is a copy of Homer's Odyssey. <laughs> Very telling of just how long this movie is. <laughs> yep, you're going to be wanting to go to sleep by the end of this one, too. Yeah, that's like strapping. <laughs> so, of course, inside is the little tape recorder thingy, which is so interesting. This tape recorder-esque thing, how they, they combine high-tech with low-tech. Right. And it's just an interesting idea, but it works really well. I, I, it's, it's very visceral, and so it, it, it's very tactile. I should say it is, and so it, it helps. I don't know when things are ultra technology forward. I kind of flinch and kind of like, eh, is that really? Whereas this was almost almost steampunk esque in the manner in which it all functions. The tech in this movie is very low tech. Yeah, for the most part, right. You know, I think we get the the ridiculous tracker things that are just part, going to part their neck parcel, or whatever, yeah. yeah, of spy movies at this point in time. Yeah, but they're tracking them on regular phones. They're using regular cameras. Yeah, they're not doing a whole lot of. I mean, even the the jumping out of the airplane. That's all legit stuff. Not a contact lens no. with with a camera inside of it and thank god there's not the masks are maybe the most technically oriented thing in this entire movie but everything else the tech feels like the tech from the tv show yeah right i mean the book starts it that's how they used to do that but i remember like the the, and rogue nation with the turntable and the laser i didn't like that it was cool i I, but it feels like yeah but you like turntables i know (laughs) um but this one feels like they were getting back to the basics yeah, and letting another reason why the movie's so good. The technology had very little to do with it. Takes anything. very much a backseat to the rest of it. And you got a little bit of the once it's broken, we have to improvise kind of deal after yeah. the bathroom scene, mm-hmm. and then you get it functioning in a great way later on. But there's not a whole lot of oh, and there's a sensor that measures how you walk, and if you don't walk <laughs> the right way, you get zapped. You know, which is all very basic kind of believable tech going on in this one, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Interesting too that it's like a little finger prick that takes his blood yeah. takes his blood sample yeah. to verify, yeah. which makes perfect sense. It's just it's just, no retinal scan. No, yeah, none of that, none of that bullshit. <laughs> and then we get the mission, uh, which is a splinter cell of the syndicate known as the Apostles, who are much worse. And can, can I just say, <laughs> who names these people? <laughs> I know they name themselves that. They, right, they're like. I got it. We'll call ourselves the Apostles. What? You, there was one guy in the Apostles is like, could we be more bougie about this? <laughs> the Apostles? Oh, I'll be Paul. I'll be Peter. We know you're going to be Judas. Wait a second. So basically, the Apostles are, are like a much worse version of the Syndicate. Right. And they basically become terror for hire rather than yes, for purpose. Right. And they're responsible for this outbreak of smallpox in Kashmir, Pakistan. Ethan's mission is basically to intercept three stolen plutonium cores before the apostles can acquire them and sell them to a fundamentalist named John Lark, who wrote some kind of manifesto calling for the destruction of current world order, which is very in line with what Lane wants. Um, Lark is also responsible for the disappearance of a nuclear weapons specialist named Niles de Bruyck. That's about as close as I'm going to get. Del Bruyck. So then we cut to Berlin, and essentially this scene is them... Oh, can I just say, though, the transition... From the end of this uh, mission that he's that he's given, where after the message self-destructs, kind of nice how they, they use the smoke 
coming out of the mission offer to use as a wipe right. to get us to Berlin where the where the mission's actually taking place. So now we're in Berlin and um, essentially this scene is them trying to broker a deal for the plutonium cores and uh, Benji is very nervous. And I do love this little waiting for the bad guys to show up moment is so great because it reestablishes that like chummy kind of thing between Ethan, Luther and Benji and how both Ethan and Luther kind of, kind of poke at, at Benji for being so nervous. He's like, you don't sound relaxed. (laughs) It's possible for one to be concerned and relaxed at the exact same time. You don't sound relaxed. Luther, does he sound relaxed to you? (laughs) He sounds terrified. Please, I'm not terrified. I just have a bad feeling is all. I thought you said you were relaxed. It's entirely possible to be relaxed and extremely uneasy at the same time. No, it's not. You do it all the time. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, he doesn't. I'm supposed to believe that you are perfectly relaxed. Right here, now, in a a dark alleyway, waiting to buy black market plutonium from a psychopath. Benji, I won't let anything happen to you. See, Benji, you're perfectly safe. That's easy for you to say. You're in the van. Well, you want to be in the field, tough guy. And tonight, Luther, I would like to be in the van. And I kind of enjoyed the fact that we got to see Ethan kind of laugh at listening to Luther give it to Benji. Right, right. <laughs> Benji, don't worry. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Yeah. Right. But And then Luther's like, you wanted to be the field agent. Yeah, yeah. That's the best part. Well, I want to be the man in the van this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then Benji becomes all business when the dude shows up. Yeah. He stops. Yeah. You know, which is the reason that Ethan would let him stick around because if he stayed that way during, he'd be done. Right, and... I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but I, I do want to point out the fact that this is finally the movie that Benji gets to wear a mask. But what's interesting about it is he doesn't show any excitement about it whatsoever. No, it's, it's, it is part of the job. And in fact, he's a little nervous about it. Right. It's no longer this gimmicky thing that he's excited to do. Right. Which kind of shows that he's now graduated to that he's new matured. level. Right. Yeah. Where he's he's actually ready to wear a mask because he knows what it entails. And it's not just like, as Erica Sloan puts it later, the IMF is Halloween. Halloween. That's right. So, And I, I, I do love how Ethan still is saying stuff like, I'll keep you safe. Which is just like... Uh. Well, it's kind of but a it's, misdirect. It's part of it, it's, and it's part of his character. It's right. part of Ethan's... Well, it's core there. being. It's, it's literally like he feels, there. He feels obligated to to take care of his team at all times, no matter what. Like, well, it's there for the person who's person who hasn't seen the five other ones to know. Yeah, this is who Ethan is. Very much so. so. When the events that transpire in the scene transpire, you understand that it's a thing. Yes. So the bad guys show up. The uh, Eastern European fellows. Just as that's happening, we see Luther in the van, and he's securing the money that they're going to use in exchange. But then the power goes out and uh, he gets held at gunpoint. So we don't know what's going on with him. Suddenly he's, uh-oh. So meanwhile, the, the European guys get out and <laughs> we get this tete-a-tete between Ethan and the main guy who looks just uncannily like a Kennedy. He looks like he's a member of the Kennedy family. <laughs> he's, I'm just waiting for him to go, and I'm going to sell you plutonium. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where is my money? <laughs> exactly. Sounds like you you it's funny how I used to do a, a decent Kennedy impression. Now I'm just Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons. <laughs> So we get that line from him the where he, he says, you know, I've stayed in business for so long. I have a voice in my head that tells me what to do. But you know what I what I hear when I talk to you? Nothing. Yeah. And, and Ethan's like, I don't give a shit. Are we doing this I'm or not? I'm here to do business. Tell the voice to flip a coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a great line. That's a great line. 
So then Benji, they open up, they bring out the uh, plutonium and Benji uses this fancy little beryllium rod to verify that that it is plutonium in the in these little <laughs> globes jason is looking at me already shaking his head and like come on it's not how nukes work <laughs> so at that point they're like okay it's legit luther bring the money luther bring the money luther luther is this on so they, and they both both benji and ethan turn around to look and hoping for the van to come around the corner of course, the van doesn't come. And then the, the bad guys, like, kill them. But then that's when suddenly gunmen from somewhere shoot all of them. So chaos just sort of, you know, erupts. And there's there's gunfire back and forth. And everybody runs for cover. Benji grabs a plutonium amidst all this while Ethan's trying to still get in touch with Luther. But then someone else is on the comm at that point. Is it Luther's not here right now? What can the apostles do for you, Hunt? <laughs> <laughs> twisty mustache. Twisty. Exactly. So, so, of course, they want the plutonium in exchange for Luther. At that point, Ethan has Benji get the car. Get he's the like, car, Benji. He's, he's like, Benji, get the car. <laughs> He's like, oh, right, 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 right. And then he gets out his cell phone. And we get the very Tomorrow Never Dies uh, <laughs> moment where Benji navigates the car using his cell phone. And um, so then the guys who have Luther are just around the corner from where Ethan is standing. They're like, we're going to count to three and you've got to bring us the plutonium. Otherwise, Luther's going to eat it, you know, essentially. Yeah. So Ethan's trying to kind of figure out what the hell he's going to do. And then eventually he's like kind of mutters to himself, I'm sorry, Luther. And he turns in and, and shoots Luther and the bad guy. And then the other guys run away. And then Ethan runs runs over to Luther to check on him. And thankfully, of course, Luther has a bulletproof vest on, which is kind of what Ethan's counting on. In the meantime, too, when when all that gunfire initially happened, Benji, instead of looking at the plutonium, he grabbed... He picked up a gun off the ground and started helping, shooting. Mm -hmm. And so nobody's watching the plutonium. Nobody's ever watching the plutonium. Nobody's ever watching the plutonium. So they all get up and they're like, why aren't we dead? (laughs) And there's like, yeah, we should be dead. Why aren't we dead? Why did they run away? (laughs) Why did they run away? And then they turn around they realize that they ran off with the plutonium. So then we cut to, uh, (laughs) we see uh, a TV and Ethan's kind of looking down, very serious looking. And we see on the news, on CNN, uh, Wolf Blitzer is talking about three nuclear attacks that happened simultaneously. And there's massive bombings that went on in Rome, Jerusalem, and Mecca. And then we hear Luther say, it's time. So at this point, we then cut to a a hospital room where uh, we see Niels Delbruck. He's chained to the hospital bed and and he wakes up finally from something that happened to him and he and he looks up and he's watching the news and he's, he gets very elated because he's seeing that like his his evil plan part of you know the evil plan that he was part of is is playing out before his very eyes ha <laughs> ha and at that point ethan and luther they want what's on niles's phone and Niles is, is not having it. He's like, well, I'm not telling you anything. I don't I don't give a shit. I don't have to. I, everything's I done for me. I'm fine. Right, exactly. So then we get this really believable fake fight between Luther and Ethan, where they really sell the shit out of this fight, where you know Luther is talking about wanting to compromise and make a deal with Niles, and, and Ethan's like, now nah, fuck that, basically. And, and he doesn't want to do anything about it, but Luther persists, and he says... 
if we read your manifesto on over the air, you know, will you will you open up your phone for us? And he's like, you can do that. And he's like, yeah, we can make a phone call and make it happen. And he's like, well, yeah. And then you well, know, and he starts laughing. He gets he's all like, oh sure, if you do that, what do I care? It doesn't matter to me anymore. Ha 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 ha. Right. I've got you over a barrel. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ethan looks like he's ready to get physically involved with Niles at this point. And <laughs> and Luther's literally having to hold him back. And eventually they just start fighting with each other. And Niles is eating it up. He just loves, he just loves watching them like go after each other because he feels like he's the author of all the pain. So <laughs> So, so he, so finally they, they break from this little fight and Ethan's like, fine. And Greg gets his phone out and he walks into the corner and he's like, no, he won't cooperate. And then suddenly up on the news, we see Wolf Blitzer and he's like, and this has just been handed to me. I've been told that I have to read this in its entirety. And then he starts reading the manifesto and Niles is like, like almost crying with joy. He's so happy about it. He's as giddy as a schoolgirl. So as soon as he sees that happening, without even taking his eyes off the screen, he gets his phone and he, and he unlocks it and just hands it right over to Luther because at this point he feels like he's won. And so Luther immediately goes to his computer, plugs it in, starts downloading all the information about how this bomb is made, all the blueprints and technical readouts of the battle station, what have you. <laughs> what is that thermal exhaust port for? Pay no mind to that exhaust port. <laughs> that's right. So he pulls down everything that's on the phone, and then Ethan's like, did we get it? And he's like, we got it. So, of course, Ethan then goes, go. And then all the doors fall down, almost identical to in Mission Impossible from 1996, the original and we see that it's a mouse trap and that the whole thing was staged and often the in the you can see off in the distance the uh, news studio where quote unquote wolf blitzer is reading the news right and wolf walks over i love the fact that they even got wolf blitzer to be part of this right <laughs> so, <laughs> so they wolf blitzer walks over to ethan and luther and wolf takes off his mask and of course it's benji underneath with the little <laughs> and before he gets the uh, the vocal thing off, he's like, did we get it? <laughs> he's still sounding like Wolf Blitzer. And then, of course, Ethan's like, of course we got it. And then cue the music. So title graphics, I got to be honest, these are not my favorite title graphics. I, I appreciate they are brief, so yes. that's nice. The brevity is nice. Yes. The brevity is great, but I'm not crazy about the fiery, the 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 use of CGI fire as, as a transitional element to get from one place to the next. It just feels a little cheap to yeah, me. Yeah, but if we're I, talking about fallout, nuclear war, Yeah, you know, fiery I, stuff. I know. It's just... You know, the thing of it is, too, is the end credit graphics I actually like way more. And 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 probably because they're a little like Ghost Protocols where you're following a another fuse. And it's a little slower paced and it's just not quite so... Just all the fire elements just really... I don't know. It just didn't... Anyway. It didn't really set you on fire? No, no, it didn't. It didn't really <laughs> light you up. <laughs> no, it didn't. But uh, at least they're they're brief, and, and, and then we're right back into, uh, into the movie. So, Act 1. 
So we cut to Rammstein Air Base in Germany. Because <laughs> I can't say that without thinking of the, the industrial group Rammstein. So <laughs> there's an air base apparently named after this industrial group. <laughs> well, one might imagine it's the other way around. No, no. And maybe the base was named Rammstein after its location. Rammstein is a musical institution in Germany. <laughs> It's something in Germany. <laughs> if one of our tens of listeners in Germany, and we have them, by the way, hey thank there. you. Shout out to Germany. Um, <laughs> we can settle this. Who came? What came first, the airbase or the industrial rock group? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> anyway, we're at Rammstein Air Base, and Ethan rolls up to meet uh, Secretary Baldwin or Hunley, and we. <laughs> so they start talking, and we find out that. The phone that they got off of Niles led to this communique between John Lark and Alana Mitsopoulos, who is an activist and philanthropist, which earned her nickname the White Widow. Hmm. And of course, as uh, philanthropists tend to be, they they have a side hustle, which is a arms dealer and a money launderer in this case. Like you do. Like you do. They also found out that Lark and Widow are set to meet at this private lounge at the very fancy Grand Palais in Paris at this fundraiser. And that if Lark doesn't show by midnight, she'll sell the plutonium to the highest bidder. And then we get this little kind of slightly more personal moment between Ethan and Hunley where Ethan's like, sir, I... And Hunley's like, don't worry about it. (laughs) It's basically like, dad, I screwed up. It's all right, son. (laughs) It's all right. I know that you make mistakes, but I love you anyway. That's right. (laughs) So Hunley's, you know, trying to make him feel better about, you know, the fact that things failed in Berlin and the fact that he had to choose whether to save his his teammate or or save millions of lives. And and that's why he chose to go into the IMF because he appreciated the way that Ethan is. My faith is in you. So on this next mission, please don't screw it up. So... (laughs) essentially. And that's when we cut to uh, Erica Sloan, the head of the CIA, followed by August Walker, uh, Henry Cavill. <laughs> and uh, they're they're walking down this hallway and, and Henry Cavill's walking, doing a walk, man. It is well, a walk. He's doing the walker walk. He's doing the walker walk with his, with his uh, shoulders back and his chest down. He's just, yes, almost robotic. Like just very, just well, like a Terminator. Maybe, or maybe he's like maybe he's like uh, the grand nephew of Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I don't, know. you know, and he's just like I gotta, I gotta stand up for Uncle Chuck. That's right, that's right. So they're walking, and and Sloan's just like make the call. So <laughs> Lark kind of raises an eyebrow. Okay, <laughs> he grabs the phone and he starts making dialing it, and then he's like shut it down. Basically meaning shut down the plane so that it doesn't go anywhere because my boss wants to go talk to Hunley. Yeah. So Because my boss and Hunt's boss have to go whip it out and see who can pee further. Yeah, exactly. To get President Daddy's approval. <laughs> right? Just a total pissing match, this argument that, that we get now between Sloan and Hunley. Sloan is, is basically ready with a team in Paris, but Hunley argues that there's no one there to reliably identify who Lark is. And then that's why Ethan has to go in and, and do it because otherwise it's like, well, how do you know you even got the real Lark? 
That's when we get also that line from Sloan about the IMF being Halloween and a bunch of grown men walking around in rubber masks and what have you. And we all know they're not rubber. They're like some sort of special synthetic That's latex right. uh, thing that yes. looks like normal flesh and acts like normal flesh. So they're not really <laughs> Halloween masks. That's right. They're far more advanced than that. Anyway... Jeez. What do you think he's like, you know, Michael Myers and he's wearing a painted William Shatner mask? No. <laughs> so Sloan basically insists that Walker come with on this mission. And that's when Hunley's kind of outraged because Walker has this very brutal reputation for being this guy that just kind of has a lot of collateral damage when he goes into action. He kills a lot of people, basically, whenever he is assigned something and not really... He's basically, he's a blunt instrument, Jason. He is a blunt <laughs> instrument. And so is his mustache. That's right. That is right. And that's when we get this, that line from Sloan about how you like to operate with a scalpel. And then we get this very deliberate shot of Ethan. And then she says, I like to operate with a hammer. And then we very deliberately see a shot of Cavill. And then, yeah, we get that, that back and forth about who spoke to the president first. Well, the president, I have president. Yeah, well, guess what? My daddy can beat up your daddy. And and therefore, he's coming along for the ride. The only way that you're going to keep doing this mission is if Walker goes along with Ethan. So Sloan wins out in the end. And so Walker and Ethan get on the plane and we're off and about. Now, can I just say it's kind of funny that uh, the IMF doesn't have access to its own planes? They have to borrow it from the they CIA? borrow it from the CIA. I guess there's kind of always been it's a this shoestring budget, man. <laughs> it feels like there's always been this kind of undercurrent that the IMF is like a sub branch of the CIA. Yeah. They don't come right out and say it. They're not special activities division. No, because they, they clearly are. say that that's what uh, Walker is. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. he's the badass version of the CIA. Right. And yet if they're part of the CIA, why is the guy in charge a secretary and not a director? Right. And the stri- so I really look tens of listeners. <laughs> if any of you is more of a, a Mission Impossible ologist than we are, if you could maybe let us know if there is any like uh, lore or anything about what the IMF is, why there's a secretary, like the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. L- let us know because I'm genuinely curious, and I know. Yeah, I could go on the internet and figure it out. But, you know, we want to hear you guys come in here and tell us things like that. So if you know, let us know. We'll, anyway. have, to, we'll have to get Bill Koenig of the Spy Command. I bet he'd know. Ooh, maybe so. Maybe so. But anyway, but let anyway, us continue. I digress. Uh, yes. So they get on the plane and the plane takes off and uh, Ethan starts laying out to Walker what the plan is, saying that they can track Lark to an RFID number in this electronic ID bracelet that lets him get into this lounge at the Grand Palais. Apparently, all of this information was on the phone. They had a lot of information off that phone. Crazy. Anyway. Was that like an exposition phone? It was ex- <laughs> surely. <laughs> it was surely an exposition phone. This also is an exposition plane that they're getting on. It, it absolutely <laughs> is. It is the the uh, exposition barge part one. Part one, because there's several. There's a, there's a few exposition barges in this movie. Indeed, indeed. So from there... They are to find Lark using this, tracking this RFID number, detain him, and then use some kind of serum, probably like the one you saw in Rogue Nation where it made the uh, Prime Minister very loopy. and Your hand's so warm. (laughs) Would have been great to have seen him. Yes, he shot me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So once they give him the serum, then Ethan would create a mask. 
and assume his identity so that he could then pose as Lark and meet the White Widow and make the trade for the plutonium. Walker, during all of this, is rolling his eyes because as soon as Ethan brings up the masks, Walker's like, does this shit really even work? Like, I don't even buy this, you know? (laughs) So... Ethan then just sort of brushes that off and he's like, well, at this point, once we get Lark, I'd hand Lark off to you. You can take him to the extraction team waiting. And Walker's like, no, you're not going to get rid of me that easy. That's bullshit. I call bullshit on that, Uh, which turns into this argument where Walker's blaming Ethan like, well, if you had made the hard choice in Berlin, I wouldn't even be here. Um, While Ethan points out that if Walker hadn't basically killed every lead or apostle member who had a positive ID on Lark, we wouldn't be even be on this mission at all. They would have already figured out a different way to get the nukes and they would have already ID'd Lark. So what do you think about his accent in this? It sounds very Superman-y. Very Superman-y. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer his man from uncle accent just a little bit more. It's yeah. just a little more fun to me. It's a I little more upper crusty. I- well, and it's also kind of campy too at the same time. Yeah, well, I knew he was he was doing kind of his version of Napoleon Solo from the TV show. Yes. So, yeah. and, and Napoleon Solo is right. I'm so much better than all. Well, it's got a little bit of that old time TV, old time movie talk. Well, absolutely. His cadence, you know, Mister Exactly. His cadence is different, and he's like, "Well, I don't know. I believe that we should. How about we do this?" My CO2 laser is better. Than your CO2 laser. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. But I mean, at the end of it, it, it sounds more English because of the way that he's enunciating yeah. and the general sort of, you know, upper crust, Harvard Yard, <laughs> yes. Tutu, Yale <laughs> type of thing. Whereas this one, he's basically literally just doing Clark Kent. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. I guess it's fine. I definitely have heard worse. Oh, certainly. American accents. I'm, I'm looking at you, Mr. Cumberbatch. <laughs> at this point, uh, Ethan says to suit up and they get ready for the jump. And we immediately get the impression that Walker's a little bit out of his depth because, you know, he's, he's futzing with his equipment and, and his face mask is, is fogging up. And <laughs> Ethan's like, are you even getting any oxygen? And he walks over and he like flips the, the little valve and immediately it like clears. And he's like, oh, I can breathe now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. So, so then they're about ready to do this jump. And I'll just, I, I got to gush about this, this halo jump real quick. Cause it is, it is so good. It is so good because not only is it real, but they execute it so well that you begin to take for granted just how good it is. It's there's no there's no seams. You don't see you don't see anything that is off if you were watching something that was CG. But it's also so good that you might assume that it is CG. It's this weird dichotomy in that respect. And and the fact that it's such a difficult thing to do. I mean, Tom Cruise literally had to take oxygen, like pure, he had to breathe pure oxygen before going up there and making this halo jump. And if, and then and then they had to, every jump was at the magic hour. So they only got one jump a day. And then, and then it was separate shoots for when he initially jumps out of the plane. And then they had to do separate jumps for when he's actually trying to move his oxygen canister to walkers. So it's just, it, it's just really, really impressive. And at the same time, it's done so technically well that you almost f- take for granted how good it is. And the only way that I can sort of relate to it is when I'm watching the X Games with my wife. And I know that's weird. It's a weird aside, but it's the only thing I can think of because as a former skateboarder and I'm watching the X Games and I'm watching the street competition, somebody will do something really cr- technically awesome. 
And I'll be like, holy cow, my mind will be blown. And my wife watching it will be like, I, I guess it's kind of cool. Like, kind of. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, but it's it's hard because of this, this, and this. And she's like, yeah, but I, I don't know all that. And, and that's the same thing with this. It's just, if you don't realize how hard it is, it it looks really easy and it's not. And just the fact that the only CGI in this jump really is the clouds and the lightning. Wait a minute. Tom Cruise didn't summon lightning for this entire scene. <laughs> he did and not. And jump right into it? He did not. Uh, nope. Nope. So apparently the weather still doesn't listen to Tom Cruise. That's right. I'm pretty sure it does now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like five years later, it's probably like, yes, Mr. Cruise, whatever you'd like, Mr. Cruise. He's a very convincing man. He is a very, it's so jovial. <laughs> so back to the movie. <laughs> and Tom is at the, the bay door, the cargo bay door on this airplane. He's looking out over the edge and he's seeing the thunder and the lightning. Very, very frightening. And he's like, I don't think we should do this maybe right now. We need to rethink this. And he starts walking back into the plane. And at that point, Walker's like, nah, I don't think so. Stop being a pussy. I'm out. He jumps out. And as he's walking, too, he flips the little oxygen tube off of Ethan's thing. And Ethan has to, like, hurry up and reattach it and then jump out of the plane to try and catch up to Walker, who's already, like, you know, several seconds out. Mm -hmm. So, So now they're both out and they're falling and they're falling and... And we hear over the comms, Walker's giving Ethan shit. What's the matter? You're afraid of a little lightning? And then just then, that line bites him in the ass because and he gets hit with the lightning. <laughs> so, and, and again, like you said earlier, just awesome the way they cut out all sound because it makes you immediately register exactly what's happening. You know right away that Walker has been knocked out and that now Ethan is going to have to go and save his ass. Right. So then we see Ethan, he has to try and navigate himself over to Walker in free fall and connect his oxygen tank up to Walker's. And kind of great, too, how they he misses him the first time. Yeah, he, he totally goes through and it's like... gotta go around the horn try this again (laughs) so so he finally gets back to him and and he's finally able to connect up the oxygen tank then he has to flip him over and then pull his chute and then of course ethan pulls his chute way unrealistically low no no he would have splattered up against that spire or impaled himself or something. Something. They just there was no time for him to break, and he yeah. was at terminal velocity at that point. I, I really wish they would have, because clearly that part of it, when he's landing, that has got to be CGI moment, right? It feels like it. Yeah, because he was not landing on solid terrain, right? And so they could have made it look like he was just a little higher up, so that it's not quite so unbelievable, right? But anyway, it is what it is. It is what it is. So then he's hanging there <laughs> at the spire and he's just looking down at what is about to happen to him because there's no other way down. And he's like, oh shit. So he, so he lets go. He disconnects from the parachute and he rolls down to the bottom <laughs> or to the roof, I should say, the flat roof. And then of course, wee, down comes Walker and he's perfectly fine and he, he lands perfectly. He starts rolling up his parachute. He's like, What's the matter, Ethan? Looks like you lost your oxygen tank. <laughs> just <laughs> perfect dickhead fashion. Yep, and you just, know, <laughs> Ethan just wants to smack him in his smarmy mustache face. <laughs> That's right. So then we're then we're inside the the uh, the Grand Palais. <laughs> oh yeah, on oh, the ones and twos, boy. <laughs> so anyway, massive club. 
the largest club maybe I've ever seen. And Ethan and Walker, they're up on the rafters or something way up high, and they clearly change out of their parachute clothes and into clubbing clothes. Hell yeah. <laughs> they knew the assignment. Ethan gets into a very sharp blazer with a <laughs> looking good hair. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Cavill's got a tie on, though, which is pretty funny. Yeah, a little buttoned up. <laughs> so, I'm like, hmm, Clark? <laughs> another one of those uh, really nice lens flares, um, as you described from, what was the movie? John Carpenter John movie? Carpenter-esque. And this big wide shot of the, of the club that they're in. And then Walker gets a read on Lark, or quote-unquote Lark, and tells Ethan, and, and they fight their way through the hordes of people dancing or whatever, and then he points to the bathroom. Well, and they can barely hear themselves with their earpieces. Yeah. Then in this whole disco environment, I'm like, don't you feel like those earpieces should be rated at sub-level for noise? Yeah. If I was Ethan, I would just be looking for the top of his head. Yeah, because he's 10 feet taller than everybody else. Right, exactly. Maybe if he had his uh, his Argyle hairstyle, it would have been easier for them to be able to find him. <laughs> exactly. All he had was the mustache, and since he couldn't see the mustache at his <laughs> level, he just looked like a normal person. That's right. But uh, yeah, Walker points to the entrance to the bathroom, and and Jason groans. Yep, <laughs> because that's we... exactly what happened. <laughs> because we got a bathroom fight on Yay. our scene. Yay! <laughs> but this is... The daddy of all bathroom fights coming in here. Yeah, it's it's definitely up there. It is um, incredible. It's actually kind of up there with the one from True Lies. Yes, very much in so. In terms of things breaking for <laughs> no apparent reason. Well, yeah, the, this bathroom is constructed of the finest paper mache. <laughs> right. And balsa wood <laughs> because everything breaks. The walls, the mirrors, like... I mean, don't you, you got to love a bathroom that had mirrors installed back to back with no wall in between them. Right. So you could easily throw a small Asian man through both of them. (laughs) Exactly. No problems. And I mean, the plumbing rips right out of the wall. Right out of the wall. Walls are breaking. Sinks are breaking. Heads, surprisingly, not not breaking. breaking. (laughs) But when you make a balsa wood sink, you really don't expect your head to get hurt too badly when you go through it. Exactly. But uh, I do like, though, this is when we get that dead silence again. Not dead silence. There's room tone. But there's no music. Right. So it really intensifies this whole fight scene. So they walk in and, and as they're walking in, Walker is scanning everybody as they as they walk past them. And he's like, not him. Nope. Not him either. And not him. And they just keep going until they find the guy. And then they follow him to the sink. And then Ethan is, tries to slide up next to him, but he, he gets cock blocked at the last second by just some random club goer but then we get these like shifty eyes back and forth between everybody standing there once the other club goer leaves right and the person that we think is lark knows something's up and before ethan can stick him with the with the loopy juice we got a fight on our hands and this guy holy shit man well and not just a fight though cavill's like too late takes the laptop they're going to use to make the mask with him and just cracks him upside just, the head yeah, with it. Yeah, just completely, uh, like, which destroys the whole mission, basically. Right, well, and the thing that I don't get is, I mean, there was this <clears throat> level of eye contact between Lark and, uh, and Walker just before he did it, which I thought, okay, he recognized him. And yeah. so, but, but that you don't get that payoff later on no. when you go through it. So the illogic of him hitting him over the head with the thing instead of waiting for Ethan. Yeah. He must have wanted to destroy the mask. It's the only thing I could think of was we need to wreck the ability 
for him for to, to pose imp- as so that he can ruin the mission and do whatever he needs to right, do. Right. So I can get the way that make this happen the way I want it to happen. Right. So it puts me back in control of the situation. Right. Okay. As Balsa Woody as the bathroom was, yeah. that was a solid square hit with a very durable laptop, and that <laughs> yeah. guy still got up. Yeah. So here's where we enter the realm of TV or movie fantasy because that guy shouldn't have got up from that oh, hit no. from, you know, six foot two, 225 Henry Cavill right. with the Superman muscles. But this guy is a Terminator. Oh my God, I know. He is a super ninja. Like he is on Super Soldier Serum. Something. He is, he is holy crap. But I digress. First, they go in, they drag him in while he's still out. They drag him into the stall and they start trying to scan his face. But of course, the computer's all busted up and nothing's working right. Right. And Ethan's just kind of like looking up at him. There's there's a lot of mugging going on in that bathroom stall, which is hilarious. A lot lot of I'm annoyed with you and I'm annoyed with you. And... And there's, he's still trying to make it work, but it's just kind of half working. It's not. It's, it's very digitized. It's, and it's starting to build the mask, but not well. Right. And then, <laughs> and then in the meantime, these like three rowdy club goers are like, hey, let us in. Talking in French well, or whatever. Well, it's like, funny, yeah, because they all. We they, want to be part of the party. They all walk in and they, they're washing up at the sinks and they look over and they see three sets of feet right. in a compromising type position in the <laughs> yeah. stall. And they're all like, hey, let's go screw with these people like only uh, French drunk partygoers can. <laughs> right, exactly. And they start trying to invite themselves into the situation. <laughs> and then, thankfully, they eventually just give up and, and head the... But the mugging, oh, right? Oh, yeah, I know. And there's that subtle thing where Henry well, they have to hold leans over to hold the, the door, door over there. But Ethan's like, asshole. <laughs> and, and Walker's like scumbag yeah. and it's just the, the the silent communication with the two of them was fantastic very much so and then of course as soon as those guys leave you see the terminator his eyes open <laughs> and holy shit he just goes to work on both of them oh, immediately no doubt. like it's nothing busts open the stall door sends ethan across the room like just it's it's insanity the throat punch to Cavill? Right. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And Cavill sells it. Right. Like his eyes go buggy and like, oh, Jesus Christ. So so then we see Ethan is starting to try and like fight him. And Cavill is back up or Walker, I should say. Walker's back up and throws him through the mirror. Right. Two mirrors. Two mirrors. And the guy just gets right back up again. Like I said, the Terminator. He's the Terminator Ninja. And he grabs this plumbing pipe and wields it like some kind of martial arts weapon that I've never seen. Right. Sharp on one end, hooked on the other. <laughs> yeah. It's like Daredevil's Billy Club. <laughs> right. And he levels Cavill, and then he gets Ethan in a headlock with that with the sharp end of that right. thing. Walker gets back up, and then we get the I I would almost dare to say iconic. Well, he stops pu- pumping of the right <laughs> click clack. Click clack of the arms like he's reloading his gun. Well, and you got you have to you have to appreciate the fact that they never show the scene where he takes his jacket off first. Right? Oh, that's right. Just for it's like I'm in the middle of a fight, but I'm gonna throw off the jacket first and right. then clack clack. <laughs> yeah. He heads towards and Ethan gets thrown by this Lark guy. And Walker just gives this guy his all, but again, this man is a machine. That they are fighting. He just does not end and kicks both of their asses basically using what can only be described as a finishing move on Walker. Right. Like, like he's got him 
Walker's on his knees and (laughs) the guy's got him by his collar and he just wham, just (laughs) levels him. (laughs) Fatality. (laughs) So, (laughs) and then we see Ethan on the ground and we get another one of those great, give me a second moments where he's he's just like winded. He's just, uh, and in the meantime, that guy is just like getting in a horse stance. He's like, come get me. He's like, I'm ready. So, Ethan then charges at him like a linebacker and they go through a wall again, very soft walls in this, mm-hmm. in this bathroom because they crash through an entire wall. At this point, Lark is on the ground and he sees the gun on the floor underneath the stall and he, and he grabs that. And just as he's nearing being able to shoot Ethan, he gets shot. And then Ethan turns around and it's Ilsa. Right. So Ben's favorite moment of the movie. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then Walker gets back up. He looks down at the guy and he's like, can you still make a mask? <laughs> I need a face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love Ilsa's line. Well, I was shooting for his chest. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you might have accidentally ended up shooting the chancellor of austria if you're that bad a shot with a gun right conveniently bad shot there (laughs) and and i will say too this scene in the bathroom when ilsa is there she gets some of the best comedic lines totally does and i i'm very happy about that too because one of my few criticisms of rogue nation was that she was always just a lot of her lines were a little too one note for me like i wish she wouldn't have always been the mysterious kind of sexy very smart ingenue yeah, there's there wasn't a whole lot of playful comedy at all with her. Right. And in this one she gets it and she right. you get to see a little bit more of that fun personality. It makes her even more likable than she already is cuz it's right. impossible not to like her. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> so Walker's trying to learn who Ilsa is, but she's she's not really saying. She's cuz he's he's like who is this and they just it's funny cuz Ethan and Ilsa are already talking. They're already in it. Right. They know each, who each other are. They're like on page nine and Walker's still on the introduction. He's right. not even on page one yet. He's just trying to catch up. And Ethan wants to know what Ilsa's doing, but she's not explaining that either. Oh yeah, she's pulling the whole, I can't tell you line. Yeah. And I really wish there'd been a little thing like from Cruz, like, oh, we're doing that again? <laughs> yeah, you know? that would have been a good, nice little retort right. there. Because <laughs> she could have just got that, sorry, Ethan, look on her face, but... <laughs> And I, and I do love this exchange where Ethan basically explains he's going to go meet the White Widow. What are you doing? I have a date with the White Widow. He had a date with the Widow. You look nothing like him. And now we have to hope they never met. Hope is not a strategy. Oh, you must be new. I have no other choice. White Widow's our only lead. I've got to be this guy for five minutes. Don't do it. What? What is it? What aren't you telling me? You don't understand what you're involved in. I don't understand what I'm involved in. I don't understand what I'm involved in. What am I involved in? Maybe but the best line in the movie right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then the one coming up is is a, is a close second though because they're Ethan's about ready to leave and <laughs> he heads out the bathroom and and so Ilsa and Walker are still standing there and Walker's like, "I'm Walker by the way." 
And she's like, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wonder, you know, Cavill or Walker's just like, man, nobody likes me. Nobody likes him. It's so funny, too, because there are so many cheap shots like that, like thrown at him. When they first get into the tiny BMW, <laughs> Benji's like, was it your idea to get the small car? <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> After he introduces himself again. Again. I'm Walker. Oh, was it your idea to get the tiny car? <laughs> So every time he says it, because everybody knows who he is and nobody wants him there. Right, exactly. But Ilsa knows instinctively this guy doesn't belong here. Right. <laughs> Ethan would never bring this asswipe along. Exactly. <laughs> so Ethan makes his way through the crowd uh, in an attempt to get to the lounge before midnight, because at this point, I think there's only like two minutes before midnight. Right, and we all know at midnight, he turns back into a pumpkin exactly. and he can't, uh, can't finish the mission. Cyborg pumpkin. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so... So Ilsa catches up and comes with him past the security check. She kind of like almost cock blocks his little ID thing with her ID thing. I'm not even sure why or or if it's just a way to show like I'm here as well. I'm coming along. There's nothing you can do about it. That's probably right. That's probably it. Kind of what they're trying to say there. So at this point, as they're walking, she informs Ethan that paid assassins are there to kill Lark and that if Lark shows up, um, but they don't know what he looks like. So if Ethan shows up being Lark, they're going to try and kill him. But she won't tell Ethan how she knows all this. Because again, we're, we're back to that whole stage in Rogue Nation where she's not really giving him anything just yet. And again, Ethan could be like, are you working for MI6 again? Are we starting this bullshit again? <laughs> just tell me. Exactly. We'll save a lot of steps here. Right. And that's when we get this continuation exchange here from Rogue Nation, this direct continuation where where he says, you should have stayed out of the game. And she says, you should have come with me off into lovey-dovey land. That's right. Because then neither one of us would be in this, in this pickle. Problem <laughs> is, we all know that it worked for James Bond, so... <laughs> exactly so the two enter the lounge separately I and mean, we hear over the stage speakers this this speech that the white widow is giving and it's about her mother who is max yay max we, we, we finally find out that she and i didn't catch that the first like three times i saw this movie like in, in fact i would go so far as to say i didn't find this out until i was online just reading Twitter stuff about this movie and somebody brought it up and I'm like, wait, what? Well, and it really brings credence <laughs> to the fact that Max was supposed to be in the last one and then she wasn't. Yeah. And just from the jump, as soon as Ethan walks in the room and his eyes meet with the White Widows, there is this spark and it's oh, the yeah. same spark that was there between Max and Ethan, right? which is kind of a little strange because now it's like, now he's kind of courting the daughter instead of the mother. Right. Which one was, which age difference was more inappropriate? And, and honestly, <laughs> what's, well, this is a good point. But I start thinking about, wouldn't it have been funny if he slept with Max and then slept with her oh and you'd have God. a whole Indiana Jones thing going on? <laughs> she talks in her sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except he would have been both. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, he would have or, been. He would have been Elsa. He would have been Elsa. Elsa. Elsa in that particular situation. And it would have been Vanessa Kirby and Vanessa Redgrave. Redgrave. So yeah, he'd have been tied up in the chair in the <laughs> castle. Talks in her sleep. He talks in his sleep. Ships that pass in the night. I was the next girl, Mom. <laughs> So as her speech goes on, Ethan's sort of sizing up the room and he's he's seeing all these shady characters all over the place, left and right. And she finishes her speech and she immediately heads to the bar. And man, the two of them sizing each other up at the bar, like just like 
Hello. Hi. How are you? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. And I mean, I fancy the way you look. <laughs> Ethan kind of goes into douchebag mode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He a little bit of that old school Tom Cruise. Right. Seeps out just a little uh-huh, bit there. A little, little smarminess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little I'm a bad boy, you know you want it kind of action going on. Right. Right. And she eats it all up and throws oh, it right back. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the other thing. The White Widow. Her character in its entirety is the Mission Impossible one sexiness moment quota of this film. Sure. As I've stated before in previous reviews, Mission Impossible movies generally only get one moment of of male... Male gaze. Over gratuitous male gazy sexy moments. Yes. They they only allow one of those per Mission Impossible, with the exception, I would say, of probably Mission Impossible 2 and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Because Rogue Nation has several with Ilsa because it's it's Rebecca Ferguson. Anyway, so moving on. Uh White Widow basically is taking over that position sure. in, the, in this movie. So after they give each other this long these long looks at each other, she's she's like, you can't possibly be John Lark. And he's like, well, it's a code name. And she's like... He says, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not. He, it's, it's just a code name. And then she's like, well, I expected Lark to be much uglier or something like that. Right. And, and that's when Ethan is determined to like make her believe that he's this bad guy. So he like grabs her very forcefully and he's like, well, I can be just as ugly. I can be real ugly. And blah, right. you know, just kind of tries to do his best at menace. Um, which, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's hard for me to believe it. Maybe she believes it more. She, I believe that she believes it. So I guess that's good enough. So <laughs> it moves the story along. It moves the story along. So Ethan then basically says that her life is in danger and points out all the assassins in the room. I should, I suppose, I should back up just for a half a second and say that as he grabs her, Zola, her brother who runs her security detail kind of moves in like, Hey, 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 they have like a little quick exchange. And then she's like, he's fine. And then he moves away. You want to stay away from this one. <laughs> yeah. You want to stay away. He's no good for you. <laughs> he's not good enough for my sister. No, no. I think he was warning Ethan that Ethan needed to stay away from his sister. Oh, <laughs> you don't want to mess with her. She would kill you. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. She would kill you. So, <laughs> Ethan tells her that her life is in danger, and he's like, well, I know what you're thinking. Are these guys here just for me, or are they here for both of us? And who are you going to believe? Because I'm the only one that wants to get you out of here because I'm trying to make a deal. So who are you going to trust? So at that point, they turn around at the bar, and they see all these guys just watching the shit go down. She's like, I think I'd like to leave now. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when... They uh they start leaving and they have to take out these different thugs one by one and it's it's kind of that dancey it's got the same sort of dancey vibe as in at the end of Rogue Nation where the the part where Ethan uses himself as a shield for Ilsa yeah so they can't shoot him because he's got the information that uh, right. that Lane wants so right so it's kind of that thing where they're they're kind of working in tandem. To fight all these guys. Well, and it, the way it's done is pretty great. First of all, I can't fight one tiny little man in a bathroom, but I can take out all of these guys in this situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which just shows you how Terminatory the Lark guy was. Right. But it's almost like a punchy, punchy, pa, ha, ha, I saved you. Hold on. Punchy, 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 ha, it I is. saved you. And then she's it, like, oh, hell no. Pulls out the butterfly knife. And then she's like, punchy, punchy, stab. And he's like, Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, Girl it is, got game. It's kind of going back to that whole thing that I talked about in Rogue Nation. It's almost like that romantic comedy intro where he's proving his worth or whatever, like by like taking out the first couple guys and she's like, oh yeah, well I can play this game too. And then she sexily draws back her dress and pulls the knife from her garter belt and stabs the guy. Right. And then <laughs> cuts another guy straight up on the face. Yeah. Like she's just as badass. Right. So they, they eventually start making their way out of this lounge. Although one guy pulls a gun, but of course Ilsa's there to like does the black widow super duper karate chop flippy pow pow (laughs) exactly and then one more gunman appears at the very last second of course walker's there to shoot him right so at that point ilsa leaves separately while ethan walker and the white widow kind of make their way out and it was so smooth because she she totally does the the jump around the neck flip him on the ground punch him in the face stands up and then just do, do, do. Off yeah, she, she kind of almost adjusts yeah, her her, to, her to sport her, coat right, the, and just walks off like nothing happened. Yeah, very <laughs> very Daniel Craigie almost right? almost adjusting the cuffs. Yeah, exactly. Type of, type That's of thing. totally what that move was. Yeah, I do find it funny that they just kind of magically make it to their car at this point. Fine, and they just drive to Widow's base of operations. Right. Like there's there's no struggle in the in the garage or anything. Why would anybody be waiting for them there? No, 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 no. But then again, it's already a two hour and thirty minute movie. So, <laughs> so anyway, there was probably something that ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> probably they probably did shoot a fight in that garage. So anyway, they get to the White Widow's base of operations and they walk into this room that's filled with these big blokes preparing weapons for something. And Ethan is then led to this desk and there's a map on it. And so Zola begins explaining the plan to extract the quote asset. And um, Ethan then sees a photo of Solomon Lane on the table. Like he kind of slides it away from underneath what it was under. And he's like, Oh shit. So we're getting Solomon Lane. And he explains to the White Widow and the newcomers to Mission Impossible who Solomon Lane is. Right. And then um, it's finally explained to Ethan, posing as Lark, that the seller doesn't want money. They want Lane in exchange for the plutonium. So they start going over the plan. And then we get this imagined scene in Ethan's head. I I really like this, this imagined scenario, largely because of the music from Lauren Balfin here. Because it's dead serious music, it's, mm-hmm. it's and it's so mournful, and it's like basically, you know, Ethan is envisioning that he's part of this team, and they're just mowing down policemen, just massacring all these people to the point where at one point somebody shoots as he's walking away, and he turn he has to turn back around, take his mask off, and he's looking at this this cop who's already injured on the ground has to look in his eyes and all these other guys are expecting him to shoot him. So he has to shoot this innocent cop like at point blank range. And then that's when he snaps out of this nightmare scenario in his head. And Zola can kind of see the look on Ethan's face. Like he's like, or do you draw the line at killing cops? And then that's when Ethan gets back into character as Lark and is like, I've killed women and children with smallpox. And he like gives that smile to well, the his, White Widow who that scares the shit out yeah, of her. He goes shark eye like yeah, big doll's time. eyes, dead <laughs> eyes. Yeah, and it's you can tell that she is just scared. She's like, all right then, let's uh let's all get some rest. Bye. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Ta-ta. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I don't I don't know how I feel about you right now. So so then we cut to a meeting between Walker and uh, Sloane at the basically at the Eiffel Tower or really close to the Eiffel Tower. Now 
<laughs> At least they weren't trying to cram it in a damn window. At least they weren't cramming it in a window. I'm pretty sure that really was the Eiffel Tower sitting I there. I feel like it was too. Like, I feel like they were actually there. And so it's a little less like beating you. It's beating you over the head, but at least it's like realistically beating you right. over the head with it. It's an actual location. <laughs> They're at an actual than, landmark. You know, we're <laughs> actually filming in Shepperton Studios, but we built a little model <laughs> of, the, of the Eiffel Tower and it's Eiffel hanging Tower. right here. Right. So Walker is explaining the plan to CIA Director Sloan. And she's mad because she wanted Lark at the meeting for the plutonium because she wanted her goal is to nab both Lark and the plutonium at this meeting. And she thinks she now thinks Lark is dead. But Walker's like, well, I don't think that was Lark. I think that was somebody hired by Lark to pose as him because why would he risk it? So Walker essentially starts building this evidence or at least what he considers evidence as to why Ethan is John Lark. And Sloan's like, that's a bold statement there. You got anything to back it up? And he and he has the phone from the guy that was posing as Lark in the bathroom, the Terminator. He's got the Terminator's phone. Yeah, but it's clearly not the Terminator's it's phone. It's clearly not. The t- it's a plant. It's something. Yeah, because the Terminator's phone, they show a scene that it's broken when Hunt takes it out of his pocket. Right. So it's, it's the, bogus this one information. Is, this one's all shiny and brand new and, right. and what all. Totally bogus information. And he's like, well, I think there's enough on this to prove it. So, and that is when we kind of uh, jump into Act 2. Okay, so we cut to a chopper flying right near the Eiffel Tower, so we know exactly (laughs) where we are. That's right, (laughs) we are. But it's the actual Eiffel Tower, so, you know. At least there's that. There is that. (laughs) It's Uh, not a CGI Eiffel Tower. (laughs) So inside the chopper is Lane, uh, all bound up uh, Hannibal Lecter style. Very much so. No no mask, but it might as well be everything else. Right. We then uh, move on to see uh, the White Widow's trucks getting into position under the underpass, because this is where they're going to ambush them, because obviously we would definitely take an alternate route when diverted into the most obvious place to set up an ambush. Right. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> cops have no sense of, they'll just, oh, I just keep going. <laughs> and I like, and I like go it. Go this way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, there's a, a random truck that rolls over next to us. Clearly that's not happening as any part of a plan for somebody else. <laughs> go this way. <laughs> go to the choke point where we could possibly be blocked off because there's water. We're only we're only driving the most wanted man in the world somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and we trusted it with regular police officers. Good job. Us. No feds, no Interpol. No, good job. <laughs> so the <laughs> So they're getting into position under the underpass. There just happened to be these slots under the underpass. It just happened to fit a box truck. <laughs> right. And one has to wonder, did they come across this location? Like, oh, wait, let's write this instead. They probably did. They probably, it probably was one of those happy accidents. I will say I love the aerial footage in this area. It's just pretty. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just because I haven't been to Paris and Paris looks pretty. But I really like the aerial footage like while he was in the helicopter and you got to see well, the whole sure. city. And then like the landing pad where he lands. That I don't sure what that building was. It was right. very oddly shaped, but yeah. you know, I'm just like, why is there a helipad here? <laughs> but okay, there's a helipad here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, the trucks are getting into position for extraction. Thank good we have another box van because we couldn't possibly have a Mission Impossible movie without at least one box van somewhere. That's right. <laughs> that um, is another very mission-y thing, isn't it? <laughs> right? There's always a box van. So uh, Ethan gets... Uh, so they're backed in. Ethan gets out. 
walks over and places. And I never really understood what the camera was for. The camera is so that he can see down the road so that he knows exactly when to start driving his truck out of out of the spot that okay. he's in. Because he's, he's anticipating when Lane's truck is moving you know, into right in front of him. He's okay. trying to time it right. So he has to be able to see down the road. But, when how he, is he, so he can, but how is he seeing that? They never show him seeing what's through the camera. Maybe they needed like a cutaway of Ethan looking at his phone because the phone is showing what the camera is looking at. Okay. I was lost. I'm like, is this for the other agents to see what's happening? Yeah. Um, because they use the same camera later on. Yeah. And no, that's just a standard IMF issued phone, Bluetooth camera. Uh, camera thing <laughs> yeah with a sticky thing on the back i just I, I didn't understand it i didn't get it and it wasn't seem out of place to walker or anybody else so right so but anyway he gets out he puts a little mini camera on the one of the beams so he can see what's going on for some reason <laughs> um uh that we then see uh lane who's landed the helicopter is landed he's on the ground he's being escorted into the armored swat truck Thingy. Thingy. Um, um, we cut back to Walker and Ethan sitting in the box truck. This is this is a funny little conversation because he's like, hey, Grandpa, isn't it true that this happened? And did this happen too? Well, I just kind of felt like it felt more like Chris Farley uh, interviewing. You remember that, yeah, you remember that part when you, you remember that was when, cool. You remember, remember when Solomon Lane gassed a bunch of people? Yeah, that was cool. Hey, and you remember, you remember when he blew up an entire plane to kill one person? Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Tom, or Ethan's just like, dude, if any of the worst things you've heard about him are probably true. Right. If it makes your skin crawl, it probably happened. Right. And then uh, Walker comes with the realization. And how Walker didn't know this beforehand. Yeah. Seems. Uh, e- either that or he's playing dumb. Yeah, he must be. Because, I mean, there's people who've never seen this movie that Ethan would know. No, Ethan caught that thing. Right. You know, so yeah, he's like, you're the one who caught him. Right. Right. Ooh, I wonder how long you're going to be able to pull that off before he blows the whistle on you. Yeah. And so the motorcade that's escorting Lane in the truck, and it's literally a motorcade, there's motorcycles. And I guess that <laughs> with the ensuing car chase, the motorcycles kind of make sense. Yeah. But not any big vehicles that could prevent things from yeah, happening. I, I, there's no like SWAT military. Again, it's the regular police escorting. Yeah. It seems like, for an how, asset how of his on, nature. Right. How on earth is Interpol not there? <laughs> yeah. Plus, I guess I have to, anytime I see one of these things where something very important, whatever the MacGuffin is, person, bomb, whatever, right. is just going on a little pattern in the middle of a major city that nobody thinks twice about. Right. I'm like, come on. I always it makes me it always makes me harken back to the original Superman movie where you right. know they have to stop the missiles so that Lex Luthor can reprogram the missiles. Right. They're in a highway in the middle of nowhere. Right. Where there's no traffic. The, and I'm like, this makes sense. The only thing that I could hear Christopher McQuarrie arguing with us about regarding all this is there is that moment when Ethan is at White Widow's um, base of operations. She mentions that she had to pay a lot of money to find out exactly when and where they were transporting him. Right. To, 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 to learn that route 
to learn the route that they were taking, she had to pay a great deal of... Many Bothan spies right. had <laughs> died <laughs> finding out this information. So it wasn't like, you know, a lot okay. of people didn't know about it. So I get it. it. But on the hush-hush. If you've got a guy in a helicopter or with a drone high enough in the sky and you see a bunch of motorcycles escorting a SWAT van... People are going to take notice. I'm just saying. Yeah. If you're going to really want to move somebody surreptitiously... First of all, okay. <laughs> we're going into this. I don't care. <laughs> Why don't you land them in a secure facility that lands helicopters like every military facility in the universe does? Right. Right? Yeah. Second of all, why don't you just put them in a Volkswagen Beetle? Yeah. If you're trying to be- And then send the decoys out. Right. If you're trying to be be sneaky sneaky about it. Right. If he's this high value a target, why aren't you putting him in some regular looking car that maybe is armored up, but then sending out decoys? At least the ones where they're like, we have three convoys. No one knows for sure which one it is. (laughs) Yeah. They always figure it out. But it's, you're in a convoy. Stop being in a convoy. You're drawing attention to yourself. <laughs> right. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just, it's one of those things that annoys the crap out of me about movies like this. You know, keep it on the down low, yo. Right. Word. So, anyway, the motorcade keeps on going. And as they're driving by, a, shall we say, familiar uh, silhouette on a motorcycle begins to mm, follow. It's a great silhouette. It is a great silhouette. <laughs> Not that we couldn't figure out who it is right. by any stretch of the imagination, but right. this. Person uh, starts mystery a mystery motorcyclist. The, it's the, you know what? Maybe it's the same person that delivered the uh, the the Odyssey book. That's it. Could be. You never you know. Never know. It's a mystery. For all we know, that mailman had a terrific ass it, <laughs> with a fine cap on top of it. That's right. Um, so uh, this person starts following the motorcade. They all keep going down the road. When this giant eighteen wheeler carrying tanks of propane or beer. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Or were they water jugs? I don't. Big giant like it looked like metal cans. I, it could have been. Could have been propane tanks. Whatever. Or small kegs. <laughs> and since beer didn't come flying out and it didn't blow up, I'm not really sure. <laughs> but it purposely takes a nosedive so that it goes on its side, right? Blocking the entrance, and then you get the one motorcycle cop up at the front. He's like, go, go, go. And I'm like, you're the idiot that's going to get fired because of this. Because that was so obvious. (laughs) Everyone knows what's going on Everyone but you, Bob, or you, Pierre. Everybody knows. Probably Pierre. Probably more likely Pierre than Bob. I'm going to go with that. Fucking Pierre. (laughs) So, um, you know, meanwhile, in this whole thing, uh, you know, the music... And the editing on there is kind of really building up the tension, you know, and it, it speaks back to what you were saying. I mean, so you got Lauren Balfi's music over on this side of it. You got Rob over there. I forget your last name, Rob, but you did a fine job of cutting everything on here and, or the shooting the film and then right. the editing and everything. Anyway, it's just going boom, 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 boom. And you're just like, what's going to happen? We all know what's going to happen. We'll get to that <laughs> um, as the trucks start coming in, uh, Ethan then calls his audible, and nobody was expecting an audible here, yep. but you never expect the Spanish audible. <laughs> um, and instead of pulling in to be the front end of the pincer movement that they're trying to use, he just full tilt runs that box truck into the armor truck That's and right. somehow manages to push it off into the water. <laughs> Defying physics, <laughs> as the impossible mission force does. That's right. Pushing a giant... How I don't know how many ton armored truck. That thing's truck. probably ten thousand pounds. 
And I'm not going to say that the, the GVR on that box truck wasn't pretty hefty, right. but all it was carrying was eight guys yeah. with ski masks and machine guns. There's no momentum behind that thing. And how funny was it's, it watching it's... those guys bounce around as they go on the drive? <laughs> but Ethan knocks the SWAT truck into the river over there, which there were some fucking good shots. Of the water filling up in that. Oh my that god, bed. it's so good. It's so Especially good. Especially when it starts to roll. Oh, I know. And, and the it's water angled, just, it's just wave brush all over Lane. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. Zola's like, what the hell is he doing? Right. Um <laughs> this was a part of the plan. Doesn't this guy kill people with smallpox? <laughs> what is he doing? What is he doing? There's no smallpox here. So anyway, Ethan backs up the truck and smashes through the back garage door because now he's run, run, running because there's obviously a plan in play here. Right. (laughs) Um, And like I said, watching the guys in the back that were supposed (laughs) to do this assault just forward, backward. (laughs) Backward. It's like we're on the Enterprise from circa 1967 (laughs) to the right, (laughs) to the left. Oh, to be on the set and watch them do that would be amazing. That was fantastic. And so they're driving through, and eventually all of this back and forth, and somehow the doors open right. on the back of the box truck, and all <laughs> of them roll out like some kind of Keystone cop sort of thing. <laughs> it was kind of funny the way they flop out and just like laundry or something. Like, it just kind yeah, of one guy didn't even try and prop himself up. They all just like maybe maybe a little too obvious way to get the guys out of the truck, but it was kind of funny at the same time. I enjoyed it. So at this point, they've got the police chasing them and we get this you know fantastic shot uh like we said of lane inside the truck as it's slowly rolling over in the water level and, and, he, I, and I, he does that i love he does great acting here too because he does those that rapid breathing and then he takes these big gasping right he's like to, trying to oxygenate his blood yeah. before the wave hits right and you start thinking i wonder how long lane can hold his breath yeah. could he have gone in the giant donut of doom well, he is a former MI6, so... I mean... He probably knows a thing or two or about a thing or two about oxygenating his blood. So. One, would, one would think. So after the water completely envelops Lane, we see Ethan and Walker zipping through the traffic in the truck. Then we cut back to seeing the doors on Lane's truck being welded open, probably with a CO2 laser. <laughs> um, and an unknown scuba person coming in. One would think it was Luther. Well... But I, one would be wrong. One would definitely be wrong. Because somebody earned a new merit badge. Well, somebody's <laughs> working in the field. That's right. That's right. Not in a van. Um, so using the CO2 laser to cut the locks off and everything, they gives him a breather, then immediately pulls a hood over his head, which I thought was like, that's kind of mean. <laughs> it's very mean. But at least he can breathe. That's right. Um, they pull him out of the truck and get him out up into the surface. Luther, who is in a boat, uh, kind of watching all the events from afar, and then... Pop comes the Benji out from the water. <laughs> and then Luther literally pulls Lane up one-handed. Yeah, it's just... Because he, he's got the meats. He's got the meats and he's got the muscle. That's he's, right. Pulls him up, drops him onto the boat, puts a little ditty dop against his neck. Yeah, so he can't be tracked so anymore. So he can't be tracked. And they put a little... They put like a little... It looks like a nicotine Like patch. a little nicotine patch over where the sensor is to block it. <laughs> um, like, you know, I, I, I would wear a nicotine patch if it blocked my sensor. I think that's... <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> so we then cut back to Ethan, uh, leading the cops and chasing them into a narrow alleyway. I really like this scene. It's because it's so intentional. It's so yeah. It's really cool that they actually thought this out. Like they thought, okay, we'll get a van that's this wide, 
And then we're going to go down this tiny fucking alleyway. <laughs> right. And we'll just have bikes parked just in just in front of that. Right. So that we can just use that as a roadblock and then they can't get to us and then we can take off on the bikes. Right. Until, of course, it's Mission Impossible. So something well, goes wrong. Right. And the Walker gets on his bike, takes off. Ethan can't get his bike to start. One has to wonder, did Walker sabotage his bike? Or is it just a Mission Impossible shit, something went wrong thing? Right, right. But he finally gets a bike going, but he's so far ahead now that he knows he's going to have to find an alternate way to get out. Yeah. Because the cops are still basically now directly after him. Yeah, they're almost over the the truck at this point. Right. So he hollers out, "Uh, I'm going to need you guys. I need an extraction. (laughs) And it's funny because... At this point, you got the scene of Benji coolly driving the boat. <laughs> yeah, just looking Luther cool as a cucumber. And and the police boats go flying past, and Luther's all like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Meanwhile, you got Lane underneath the boat. Right. Right, not doing anything. And then uh, Ethan's like, nah, I need you guys to come. He's like, okay. So Benji turns, d- the, wheel. turns the boat around, like, we got to go save him. All this never happens. In the meantime, a mystery motorcyclist, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Is now tailing Walker while Zola's men get into cars to go after Ethan. And it's funny that they have to pull out of their box trucks to get into cars that are waiting to go follow Ethan. Right. <laughs> um, and then we get this incredibly amazing... Oh my God. This motorcycle chase, while it's completely different from the one in Rogue Nation, it is just as fantastic. It's still for, at the same caliber. Yeah, but for different reasons. You know, it's like the Rogue Nation one is all about like high speed, like really high speed, like super right. high speed. Whereas this one's still fast, but this one's more about, you know, he's literally going into head on, you know. Yeah, almost the entire thing is against traffic. Yeah. And then they hit that, the the famous Arc roundabout de about the, around the Arc de Triomphe. And it's just the level of intensity and all of it, the thing is, all of it makes sense. Yeah. Well, and there's such some, again, you know, I, I talked about it at the very beginning, but cutting that Eddie Hamilton does in that moment when they're at the Arc Triumph, where a car will pass in front, a liter- an actual car. This is some like good old fashioned editor shit where you, they're literally just looking for the next car to pass in front of the camera so that you can then cut, either push in to get a closer view of Ethan or push back out or just change angles depending on where you're at in the chase sequence. Right. It's And it's done so well. It's done so perfectly. It's Well, and can I say throughout the entirety of this, this chase scene, you've got all of these scenes where Ethan is blatantly driving through intersections oh of traffic God, yeah. and not getting hit, whereas all the people behind him are getting stuck by the accidents. Right. And you see that maybe usually once, maybe twice in a normal car and, chase and scene. still no helmet, man. No, exactly. Sheesh. But... In this one, it's literally their plan because Ilsa's yeah. doing the exact same thing when she starts chasing him. Right. It's just complete disregard for anything that can hit you, solely focused on what you're doing. And the people that are concerned about getting hit are the ones who get stuck behind the traffic. Yeah. So for that that level of intensity, I'm like, he doesn't even care if he gets hit. Right. He's just, This is where I'm going. This I could is, be I'm, running, I'm, but I'm on a motorcycle right now. He's the living embodiment of destiny or That's whatever right. it's a living embodiment of destiny mr prime minister <laughs> i'm marty mcfly i'm your density <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh, so I, the whole thing and i mean we've seen some good motorcycle chases in this franchise yeah you know going all the way back to the woo as fuck original right yeah. um i mean even that is pretty fantastic too right uh, but that well, was when he was still kind of cutting his teeth as a right. as an expert motorcyclist. And it was really more about the chase 
between the two of them than it was about anything else. Yeah. Whereas, and I think the one in Rogue Nation was also, there was obviously a lot more involvement on the motorcycles, Mm -hmm. but it really was Ethan against Ilsa in this circumstance. Yeah. This one is just, everybody's fucking chasing me and I need to get away. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, so we go through all this, this wonderful nonsense. Then there's the part where he stops. Yeah. And you got the five intersections, which felt very no time to die to me. Yeah, where except he didn't whip out with a chain gun on his motorcycle <laughs> and do a donut and mow people down, which I know what she did. But, you <laughs> Might know, have been cool, but it's, it's not Bond. It's Ethan. Yeah. So he does this really cool. I'm going to spin out and skid while I go down the one way I can go, which <laughs> thankfully just happens to be the way he needs to go. That part's a little convenient. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, maybe yeah, we'll it allow it. <laughs> we'll allow it. So. Uh, he breaks out, gets himself through the intersection, takes off the way he needs to go down, looks back for a second to see if he was changing, and that's when he goes, whoop-bam, <laughs> right, right into, into the- a parked car. And Well, it's not even a parked car. It's just a car that happens to come out right in oh, front I thought, of him. I thought it was a parked car. And what's fantastic about it is I actually saw a behind-the-scenes video of what actually goes on right there. And so the motorcycle is on a track. And to get this shot, Tom is on the bike, obviously, and then... But he's got a he's got a cable. He's basically harnessed. He's got a cable on his back, and then they time it so that the car comes in front, and the bike stops on the track, and they lift him to get over the car. So it's all like pretty practical. It's like mm-hmm. it's not like they CG'd his body flying over this car. Right. It's really Tom flying over the car. He's just not hitting the car per se, and, right. and getting clobbered. He's just. They're Wee! just lifting him <laughs> over it. And then they cut it on the reverse angle to make it look like he, you know, actually did it. But it's it's done so well. Oh, absolutely. I just think of so many other franchises that would really fumble the ball in this situation, like making this look real. Or they'd have done a real stunt, but they'd have superimposed the actor's face on it. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> bad Roger Craig. Uh-huh. Daniel Craig. Oh, bad Daniel Craig. <laughs> Roger Craig, Daniel Craig. I do that all the time. Uh, Apparently, the early to mid-80s 49ers are firmly planted in the back of my brain. That's right. Anyway, so, so of course, being Ethan Hunt, he gets up. (laughs) Right, he's fine. I'm fine. He's limping a little bit. He's a little sore. Yeah. Um, but he starts making his beeline to the, uh, I don't know, park? It's like a it's fountain bush area. type thing. Yeah, it's like I don't a know water, what it is. Water but fountain type thing, but it's not on. Yeah, and all, but all you can see is just this bush surrounding something. The cops are barreling down. He hops. Oh, well, he pulls out a knife, right? Which you're Which like, I don't understand that. I still well, don't understand he, when he uses that. He, to cut into the netting to get into the entrance. There's a big hole that he cut through into that netting to get oh, in there. Oh, to get to get down in there, right? Which oh. I mean, when you've already established he doesn't want to kill people. It seemed like a dumb thing to do, other than to explain how he got into it. He pulls out the life like he's getting ready for a knife fight with the cops. Yeah, because I I, 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 until you just told me that now, I never put those things together. Right. And he goes, he goes hobbling over, jumps over the topiary or whatever that's in right. there. And the cops go over, oh, hut, 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 hut. <laughs> yeah. And they're all pointing out there, but all you see is this big circle, the chamber of whatever that's got black netting over it with a hole in it that Ethan slipped through. And then that cuts to them into the boat that's under a canal that... Some sort of underground waterway yeah, of I don't, some sort. I don't know how Paris works. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I don't. And maybe this is a real thing. It probably is. It's parrots. It's been around a minute. Yeah, it's fancy. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, we're underwater. Even it, Seattle has part of its city that still exists underground. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. 
It seems so weird to me that they ran in like, well, we're just going to drive our boat in here. In my mind, it's like, would you have to have special permission to get into something? I, I don't know. I don't know. If anybody knows, please tell us. We would like to know. No ticket. No, anyway. no ticket. But anyway, so he gets on the boat with Luther and Benji and Lane, and uh, they drive off. Not really into the sunset, but to a very well-lit area of this underground boat dock place. Yes. So, basically, they get to a good stopping point. They offload Lane off the boat. They meet Walker at what appears to basically just be kind of a garage area somewhere with uh, two swinging barn doors and a much too small old 5 Series BMW. Right. Still on brand, though. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, BMW, it's the car, the official car of Mission Impossible. And it's funny to think that this 5 Series was like a big car when it came out in the early 90s. It was 90s. considered big. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was considered their mid-sized car under above the 3 Series. Now it would be considered a compact. Right. Well, 3 Series is bigger than this car is now, right? <laughs> right. I don't know if you've ever been in an old 325, but those things were snug. <laughs> a little, little snug, a little tight. But they get in there getting ready to load Lane into the back of the car so they can head off to whatever they do. Wouldn't even dare to call it a schmedium. No, 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 no. BMW was very, uh, was very uh, tidy in their dimensions. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, because we're all about being the ultimate driving machine. That's right. So as they're getting them loaded in, Ethan opens up the doors and wouldn't you know it. <laughs> How convenient or inconvenient. One little Parisian traffic officer yes with no business being there at all there she is there she is and uh, again the first thing that pops into my head is the scene where indy and his dad are flipping around in the fireplace oh right and, and the, the-, the the lady that's in charge of the germans back there looks over and they Yells. wave and she smiles and then she's like <laughs> and it just the same thing it's just sort of like uh hello and she's like um all right everybody with your hands up <laughs> right and tom's like just go just, i just please. thought it was funny because they're all like i think luther is the one that's currently holding he's holding lane, lane and he's just like oh, oh, right and they're all just kind of like oh, just so no. caught in the act and mom's caught me right exactly <laughs> and uh, again i'm seeing this with with him locked up with the hood over his head and then you've got Ving rings of all people right. holding the guy with the mask and the, the chains around his neck. And I'm right. just like, is there a gold briefcase in the back of this BMW <laughs> that shines up when you open it up? I don't know. Wait a right. minute. Wait a minute. What movie is this? Is Bruce Willis going to show up in a minute? <laughs> right. In a chopper? Yeah. <laughs> Zed's <laughs> dead, baby. Zed's, Zed's, dead. Zed's dead. She was French, too. Um, anyway. The girl that's currently being the police officer is not Butch's girlfriend from Pulp Fiction. No. Just a shiny (laughs) example of the Paris police force finding a bunch of handsome men in a really weird situation. Extremely handsome. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Out of the ordinarily handsome men. (laughs) It's not sounding any better than Pulp Fiction. Um, But she's like, y'all need to come with me kind of thing. And Tom's like, you need to go. Please go. Right. Please, I don't want you to get hurt. Please, you need to go. And then she gets hurt. And then she, she does get hurt because Zola's men in their not box trucks show up and one of them shoots her and she's down on the ground and she's she's looking like she's not very happy because she got shot. Right. And instead of being me, which I would have been fucking told you, <laughs> Tom's like, yep, I'm having none of this. 
Pulls out his pistol. Pa-pow, 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 pa-pow. Quite a... Uh, four for four. Quite skillfully, I would say. Right? I would add. He yeah. got the big plush toy. That's right. At the shooting gallery at the carnival. Well, and it was funny, too, that during this tense moment, too, you've got Cavill, who's already drawn his gun he on, has, the, on the yes. sly. And then Zola's men are like, well, we want to... My sister wants to speak with you or something right. like that. And and that's when one of his guys is like, well, what do we do about her? And yep. He's just like, well, shoot her. You know, finish yeah. her off. Yeah. <laughs> but Ethan's having done nothing yeah. to do with that. So he knocks... He shoots them all dead. One shot. Good job, Ethan. Bam. Walks over to the police officer. And it's just like in French, like, ah, uh, you know, you're going to be Okay. Yeah. Make the call. Gets her to call for, um, I need help in French. Well, you know, it's Ethan Hunt. He's yeah. ever the Boy Scout. He's going to do the right thing. Absolutely. He's, and then he apologizes to I her. I know. It's it's, it's, like, it's adorable. It is adorable. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and didn't listen to what I said. <laughs> but I appreciate your diligence in carrying out your job. You're Despite probably the fact that you were... Looking at a bunch of gangsters doing some serious gangster shit. <laughs> Kudos to you. Please don't come back and be the villain in number seven. That's right. So they finally all gather up in the car. It's a very snug fit back there, as we mentioned before. <laughs> yeah. Ah, by the way, I'm Walker. Was the little car your idea? <laughs> so we then, uh, as we're pulling off with all of them driving, we see our mystery motorcyclist returning once again. Mm-hmm. Um, Taking out a pretty nice little compact uh, rifle out there. Yeah. Uh, taking aim at the car from a bridge high above the road that they're going down and firing off a shot that seriously should have killed Lane. Should have killed just, everyone in that car, really. Just grazed him. Right. <laughs> right. Fires a couple more shots in there to stop it. Ethan's like, we got to get everybody out of here before they get killed. Right. Stops the car, tells everybody, get out before you all get killed, and then starts driving again. With Lane. With Lane. <laughs> the only one who didn't get to get out. But he pulls off the hood. This is strange. A I strange, didn't understand this at all. It's a strange decision to pull the hood off right there. Like, why would you need to? What's, Maybe he was trying to assess the damage. Could have been. You know, to see if what he was even worth driving away for or Right, not. or whether or not he's just dead. Yeah. So he had to know whether he was still alive or whatever. That makes sense. Right. So I, I, that's how I kind of justified it All in right. my head. I'll bite. But um, we get more shots. Oh, um, yeah. This car chase is... Oh, yeah. Again, it's just another Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruise things. Like, his ability to drive that car is just... Oh, yeah. He's Insane. the best stunt driver on the set. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I mean, we get we get the handbrake 360 over the stairs. We're not going to oh. do any thumpa thumpa thumpa. We're just going to go whatang patow. So cool. I and love then that Ilsa one. coming down on the motorcycle down the other stairway, following behind them. Yeah. I mean, all of the, car chases are their thing. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, and train chases. And, tra- and apparently helicopter chases. Okay. And sometimes helicopters <laughs> chasing trains. <laughs> They're all about the vehicle chases. It's all about the need for speed. Exactly. (laughs) Screw Fast and the Furious. We got Mission and the Impossible. Sure. Sure, why not? And I love how there's no music in this this area, too. It's just all the sound of the cars. Like, again, like finding those ripe moments to like pull all the music out and sort of amp up that tension. And it's also interesting, too, because that's right when they start. I think that's right when they start talking, too. Yeah, they start having that conversation. And, you know, the the mystery motorcyclist gets in front of them with a gun pointed at him and then pulls up her shield and surprise, surprise, it's Ilsa. Is actually surprised. <laughs> no one's surprised. <laughs> um, and Ethan pauses and then heads straight for her and yeah. brutally runs her over with Holy, the car. Yeah. Sends her flying over the top. 
Maybe he thought if he went faster, she'd pop over quicker. And well, there was clearly he, he, he clearly was not trying to hurt her. No, but no. take her out of the equation. Right. And we all know how bike physics work in the Mission Impossible universe. <laughs> if you get hit, unless you you're Tom go, Cruise, you, just you pop fly up over. Well, that's right. You but don't Tom get mowed Cruise, down. No, Tom Cruise rolls over onto the street and gets hurt. Right. <laughs> and then you know, at this point, they're driving off, and then Lane's like, "That was Ilsa." <laughs> and Ethan's like. Shut up. He's like, how interesting. <laughs> Look, Sean, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't want you to think I'm picking on you because I know I sound more like Peter Laurie than you. But you have a very distinctive voice. And, and it's I, fun. And I it's... want to learn how to do it. It's the nature of me as the vocal chameleon <laughs> I want to be. But... Ilsa gets off the ground. She sees the police coming. So she's like, son of a mother loving goat <laughs> and hobbles away. I do love how everybody hobbles after they get hurt. Yeah. At least there's some realism to the fact that we, we, you know, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little beat up at this point, but Zola's looking on from a nearby car. There might be something to that later. It's like, who is this woman? Yeah, why is she not dating me? <laughs> it's funny that we're going with that Russian accent when he was clearly English like his sister. <laughs> I know, I know. But with a name like Zola, it just you the like, yeah, Abraham half brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Max was, uh, shall we say, a player. <laughs> so anyway, Ethan then arrives at another dark, secluded, undisclosed location uh, where Benji, Luther, and Walker are waiting. To be fair. It seems very much like other dark, undisclosed locations we've seen in the movies. You know... (laughs) It's got a jail cell. Yeah. It's poorly lit. (laughs) There's tunnels involved. Well, this this isn't the one with the jail cell. We've got one more to go still. Oh, that's right. See, that's the other thing I've noticed about this particular movie. There are a lot of dark, dingy, undisclosed locations in this movie. Yes. They're all kind of interchangeable. In fact, the one towards the very end... When they're figuring out that they need to go to uh, the mountains or whatever. That one, I'm like, where did this come from? Like, they don't even explain how they got to that one. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Ethan then arrives in another dark, undisclosed location <laughs> where Benji, Luther, and Walker are waiting. They then begin to start working to remove the tracking chip that's inside Lane's nake. Or nake? Lane's <laughs> neck. And uh, Lane begins monologuing because... You ain't a bad guy without the monologue. That's right. And gets the whole thing. He's like, your mission, whether you choose to accept it. <laughs> Tell me, Ethan, have you ever not accepted it? <laughs> Tell me, Ethan, have you ever not accepted it? <laughs> that works better when I plug my nose, I think. Then says, you should have killed me, Ethan. The end you always feared is coming. And your blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You know, it's this turny, aroundy thing. They're saying yeah. nothing yeah. while trying to sound ominous. Well, and they try and make you buy into it by giving you that shot of Ethan suddenly paying attention to what he's saying. Because prior to that, prior to him saying, you should have killed me, and then he, and then platitudes, platitudes, platitudes. But, but Ethan suddenly is not looking at the stopwatch, seeing how long it's taking them for them to remove the thing. Right. Like, he suddenly stops paying attention to the mission, is listening to Solomon Lane. Right. All of a sudden, like, wait a minute, what is he, what? 
What is he impl- what is he implying here? And so they try and force you into thinking that this is really important what he's saying, even though he's not really saying all that much. He isn't saying anything at all. Other than to sound monologue-y and... Menacing. Menacing, that's it. The blood will be on your hands. And then, of course, let's throw in the name of the movie. The fallout of all your good intention. (laughs) And if I was was Ethan out in this situation, I'd have flicked him right between the eyes. I'm like, shut up. That was too on the nose. But, uh, you know, Ethan kind of shakes it off, realizes they're running out of time to get this... The tracking locator, and basically what they're doing, the cops are hot on their heels. They got to get rid of this tracking device so that they can move him freely around wherever they need to. Right. Finally, we get it done. They pull the 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 chip out. They put it on a drone. They send the drone on auto mode. Yeah, just and, way elsewhere, anywhere but where they are. Right, and we hear the police come over where they're at, and then keep on going. And I, you know, maybe this is just me only being exposed to Paris through movies and stuff. <laughs> But why did they have the hee-her, hee-her, hee-her <laughs> sirens? They were more kind of standard issue, weren't they, I think? I think so. I you don't know. know. I don't know where the hee-hers operate. Uh, well, I know there's some hee-hers in, <laughs> I think they're in England. <laughs> but I just thought that was how European <laughs> sirens sounded. All of them? Yeah, because, I mean, in Canada, they don't have hee-hers. They no. have woo! Right, right. And they're our hat. Well, so <laughs> Well, and then there are some that, are, that have got that... Uh, that almost seizure level type, th- right. there are those ones too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the alternate of the her, he, her, he. I think those are in mostly like the Teutonic countries and the Scandinavian countries. They go her, he, dude first. But like in England, it's he, her, he, her. So it's her, he. Maybe the her, he's happen in Australia because the water goes down the drain the Maybe opposite direction. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I was just surprised there were not any her, he's, he, hers. Ha, ha. It was just normal sirens. It was just normal sirens. Hmm. Anyway. Moving on. Drone fools them. They keep on going. Hmm. So does the drone. And uh, we move on to the ominous meeting. It's actually not very ominous. It's just kind it of really a, isn't very ominous a, at all. It's, it's almost it's one step away from that scene in uh, when Harry met Sally when they're out in the park and That's beautiful true. leaves falling. Except it's just kind of it's, overcast and dirty. Yeah, and it's dirty of, part you know, of Paris. With instead of talking about how men and women you know can't uh, get together and do that kind of thing, they're talking about murder and mayhem. And, That's right. And you know, and, and missions and, and things like that. They're martinis. <laughs> um, so we cut up to uh, a walkway alongside the river in Paris. Is that the Elbe River? I I honestly don't know. Is it the, it, I should really know those things, but I don't. You're the Europhile here. I'm not. <laughs> I am. I am. The- <laughs> you know, I suppose it doesn't really matter for the, the intent of what we're doing here. But anyway, it's a river in Paris that they're walking by. Well, listen, I'll make I'll make the pledge that if we ever cover a movie, another movie that takes place in Paris and there's a river, I will know which one it is. Okay, very good. All very right. good. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> so Ethan and Vanessa have met back up and uh, Ethan is explaining that her, well, she basically, she's like, why did you deviate from the plan? Right, right. And it's like, your brother's an idiot. You clearly know this already. <laughs> right. His plan was just going to get a lot of people killed, including your men. I decided to And basic- probably Lane. And probably Lane. That was his biggest concern. Yeah. So I called an audible and did it my way. Right. And, you know, I am the guy who killed women and children with, with- smallpox. So my way clearly works. That's right. <laughs> and she's all, yeah, you know, family. What can you do? <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? She's uh, just, oh, Vanessa Kirby is so good in this. She plays it with at every 
stretch. I of swear this. she watched Vanessa Redgrave's performance of yeah. who Max was and just adopted it to her own needs because it still played with the same Elan, the same gravitas that Vanessa Redgrave that played level Max. Of flirtiness. Yes, absolutely. And it's kind of funny. They couldn't have been very close because you would have thought she'd like, oh, you know, uh, uh, Vanessa, you should have seen this one guy I was dealing with. You know, <laughs> mom, mom wasn't telling tales behind school. I mean, he had to be 20 some odd years younger than me, but I'd have nailed him like he was a <laughs> board on a church, baby. But anyway, um, they do a little banter, banter, whatever, whatever. And then she asks about Ilsa and the fact she tried to kill Lane, but not Ethan. And she could have done both. And so he's kind of playing off, you know, we have a history. <laughs> It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> you know, I'm working on it. Um, if, we were, if we were on Facebook, my relationship status would be it's complicated. It's, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, so Vanessa mentions that uh, she lost four of her men in the interim of his audible. And so she's like, so the price of my plutonium went up. And now if you want to get it, not only do I get lame, but I want the girl as well. And he's like. But that seems almost catty. It does. It does, but she's also an arms dealer, and she she has her reasons, right? But but they, it in a small way, it feels a little on the catty side. Well, you get until you get further on into the movie and find out what her actual motivations are at this point, right? You kind of feel like it's once just you like, figured out once you figure out who she's connected to and so right. on and so forth. You know, she was just trying to sweeten the pot, is what it turns out to be, right? But in the, at the there, you're kind of like, no, 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 I want you. Nobody else gets you, right? So. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> um, but, you know, Ethan's like, no problem. She's yours. Right. Shark eyes come back. <laughs> yeah. And then she just stares at him and levels that kiss on him that yeah. is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say probably the best acting in the entire movie because she just kind of went like, I'm going to kiss you now. And then bit him probably on the lip. If I was Ethan in that situation, I'd be like, Miss, I offer my neck for you to step on now. Right. <laughs> I'm like, and he, she almost knocked him off of his crate. So, <laughs> yeah, was, he must have been standing on three, four soapboxes to, to be at the same height as, as Vanessa Kirby. So, I, I mean, I don't know how tall she is, but she could have caused some serious damage. Good thing he's a stuntman. That's right. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, his feet planted pretty good. So. He, he did. He, he was kind of expecting, but not expecting. <laughs> he got in a horse stance and was ready for it. <laughs> he was ready to go. Anyway, so after the rather forceful kiss, she tells him, you know, basically, she swaggers off like, I'm in control now. <laughs> yeah. Go to London. Call me when you get there. <laughs> Don't text. Call me. Call me. And Instructions uh, will follow. Yeah, instructions will follow. Ta-ta. <laughs> Ta-ta for now. Bye-bye. <laughs> and then she saunters off into the sunset. Well, there was no sense that the sun was already set. She just saunters off into the darkness. So as the meeting is ending, we see that Ilsa was watching the whole thing from afar. And so now we get the uh, and, the other end of the cattiness. And and maybe maybe it's just me wishing it, but it really felt like the look on her face was just like, bitch. <laughs> it totally was. It totally was. So Ilsa? 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 It says Ilsa in Spain. In Spain. Ilsa. 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 So... Ilsa begins to follow Ethan, and we get that sort of uh, 
classic. He's right in front of me, and then I make a right hand turn, and he's a little bit further away. Right, and then I make a left hand turn, and he's a little bit further away. But always it, where I can see where he's going, and it's always clearly sort of indicating that he knows he's being followed. So he's sure. Now, so at this point, he's now just leading her to a very specific place where they can meet discreetly and chit chat. Right. right. It kind of reminded me of from Man of Steel. Hey, another Henry Cavill movie. Hey, uh, when. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they're on the Kryptonian ship, and you've got robot Russell Crowe doing what I like to tell my wife. I call it Jarelling, where he just <laughs> pops up in front and points to the direction Lois Lane needs to go. So every time my wife gives me instructions on something, she'll just you, point you start the direction I'm supposed to go. And I'm like, stop Jarelling me. So anyway, um, so he, he leads her into this, you know, this kind of this open courtyard with these lined rings of trees, and you get this really great camera shot which just follows them to the left yeah. as they transition from the walking area. Well, she pulls in. Ethan's at the far end of this this thing. Yeah. She walks in, and then they just start panning to the left of the screen. Yeah, the camera just is must have been on a track or something because yeah. it just goes perfectly sideways. And they pass in through the, this lined area with trees on both sides to have their little conversation. And, you know, it's funny that in Europe, places like that exist. Yeah, that's a, right. those are real places. <laughs> nobody nobody in America builds trees in a line anywhere unless they were there and they just built a road in between them. Welcome to idiocracy. Right. <laughs> so our sense of uh our aesthetic sense is not always there when it comes it's to It's kind of a hodgepodge, really. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's I'm sure there's areas like this on the East Coast. Yeah. Right. Which was mirroring architecture from Europe. Sure. But the further west you pull out, the more people, more America lost its mind the further west they went. <laughs> yeah, the gang, 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 you know, gang, gang. You know, we went, we went from like, you know, classic architecture to the Guggenheim Museum. I mean, that's all you really need to know. You've got the Capitol Building and the Guggenheim. Right. Right. You've got the Washington Monument and the Space Needle. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, and then somewhere in the middle, you've got the Sears Tower. <laughs> anyway, that was Architecture on the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Jason Greenberg Sinclair. And this is my co-host, uh, Benjamin Robert. Esslinger. Yes, yes, yes. So very good. Very Esquire. Good. Esquire. <laughs> Anon. Hither and thither. All right, enough of that nonsense. Um, so so we get to the they were in the trees, it's all very, you know, lined and straight. And we kind of start it's where they're like, okay, we, we need to have this confrontation thing going on here so that we can clearly move you past person who's chasing me to someone who's actively involved. Right. Kind of get the whole, like, I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt you thing. Right. Everybody's always apologizing to people in this thing. Well, Hunt, Hunt is very Canadian I, in that respect. I guess. He apologizes an awful he lot. He does say, so, he even says he's sorry when he's getting chased and he's interrupting the funeral. So polite. So polite. So polite. He's like, I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt you. Ethan then figures out, you know, much later than everybody else Right. In the movie, apparently, who's watching the movie, right. that her mission is to kill Lane, not Lark. She was protecting Lark because she needed him to break out Lane. He goes on to realize that she basically planted Lark here in the scenario so that she had full control of that situation, but then ended up having to kill Lark 
to protect Ethan because for some reason she didn't anticipate that in a mission to kill Solomon Lane, that somehow Ethan Hunt wasn't going to end up in the middle of it. <laughs> right. She could tell Walker, oh, you must be new here because you don't realize we're going on hope. Right. But can't make the leap that somehow in my mission, Ethan's just going to show up again. I can't imagine why Ethan Hunt would show up somewhere where, where Solomon, Solomon Lane, Lane is. might be. Yeah. Right. You know, because rebellions are built on hope. <laughs> I don't know. But she, she goes on to say she was specifically sent here once again by MI6 to prove her loyalty. What is it about Ilsa <laughs> Faust that people think she's so turned Cody that well, she has to continually prove herself to people? Well, and on the other side of that is why does Ilsa continue to believe that if she just does one more thing, they're going to let her go? Right. And because clearly they're never going to let her go, no matter what she does. Well, and that's the thing. So she's like, I get to walk away from it if I'm done with this. It's like, that's it, what they told you last movie. Yeah. Are you not paying attention? <laughs> Ethan told you, don't come back. <laughs> right. Okay. He didn't go with you. And you, we know you want him to, but it's, it's, come on. You should maybe be a little more born here that's and a right. little less Bond. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> pick the right B, lady. <laughs> but anyway, so. And like the fact that Ilsa can never get away from MI6, we are never going to get done doing this <laughs> review of Mission Impossible Fallout. Because, let's face it, when you try and cram six movies into two and a half hours, you can't review it in just one shot. That's right. That's right. And once again, this uh, concludes uh, part one of our review of Mission Impossible Fallout. Because, you know... We like to give our listeners a little break, a little moment to catch their breath, get up, stretch, I don't know, maybe visit the restroom, or just live your life, you know, I don't know. Decide whether you want to come back and listen to the second one, who knows. Do you remember, Ben, when this was like a special thing that we did? <laughs> it was a special thing. But ever, ever since we jumped onto this road to reckoning, I know. it just I know. feels like, again... They're trying to cram six movies into two plus hours worth of it, it, yeah, entertainment, well, you know. and and it's just there's a lot to to there's pull a, apart here. A lot, a lot of little ins and outs and what have yous. I mean, it's very complex. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, we appreciate all of you, you gentle listeners, our beautiful tens of listeners, our gorgeous tens of listeners, all of you for for going through the rigmarole with us and going through these two parters because you know we really don't want to hit the gas at the end of it and give you well. Honestly, we just don't want to deprive you of the wonderfulness of listening to us. Indeed. And in our inane shenanigans. Right. And, and of course, <laughs> as Ben pointed out, realizing that too much of a good thing is too much. Um, <laughs> we'll just continue with this stuff until the road for reckoning is done. That's and, right. And we'll move back on to the way things were. Indeed, indeed. But uh, hey, if you like what we're throwing down, why don't you get in touch with us? You know, we've got all sorts of great ways to get in touch with us. Let us know how you're feeling, what you think about Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it, where it stands in your rankings. I'd love to hear from each and every one of our tens of listeners. And all the ways to contact us can be found at the very bottom of the show description of this very episode. So isn't technology wonderful? I love technology. All the links. So there, whichever format, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, just hit us up. We're almost guaranteed to put it on one of our future podcasts because that's what we do. Because <laughs> <laughs> we love doing that. But I think uh, for now, we'll get out of here. What do you say? Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis. And more Mission Impossible? <laughs> Quite so. Quite so.